Welcome to episode 37 of the Film 89 podcast. Once again, podcast, it's a big hello and thanks for listening from your old pal, Neil Gaskin. Now, I know many of you might think of me as quite a jovial chap, but in fact, you are very wrong. I am, in fact, a man who can't be reasoned with, a man who doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And I absolutely will not stop until you are completely updated with all things film. And here to assist me tonight in my quest is my co-host, a man who told me to only appear if I were to give him three things. My clothes, my boots, and my motorcycle. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sky Wingfield. I wish you would fucking stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hello, podcasts. Uh, we're back uh, for episode 37, and as you already all know now, tonight we are going to be reviewing in depth and spoiler filled the sixth film. In I know, the I had to count the franchise. Sixth earlier. film. It is, of course, Terminator Dark Fate. Neil, you and me, big fans of uh, some of the Terminator films, yeah? First two Terminator films I would include in my top ten at any time. My, my yeah, my own top ten favorite films has at one point included both the first two films. Um, I'm not sure how we stand at the moment because that top ten chops and changes all the time. Yeah, I, I've written about them both for the site. The thing is, if you're if you're of a certain age group, you grew up with these films. Yes, you? you've got I, these yes. films hold a special place in your heart, don't they? Let's be yeah, honest. They, yeah, I, I did see the first film first. Um, I, I probably saw it. You know, I'm going to say late eighties, maybe about eighty seven, eighty eight. Really liked it. And then by the time Terminator Two came out in 1991, you know, I, I, I cited before that Terminator Two, watching it back in August 1991, is one of my three favorite experiences in the cinema. On the Rambo episode, I said to Rich, and I'm just, I only just realised this, I said to Rich, I'd never watched anything in order. Cause I, yeah, 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 you but did. I did yeah. Actually, but I did actually see the Terminator. Because you saw Rocky 2 Rocky 2 first, first yeah. I yeah. saw Enter the Dragon before I saw anything else. I saw Empire Strikes Back before I saw the Star Wars. That's messed up. But I did actually see Terminator first. Yeah, Terminator 2 holds such a special place in my heart. The cinema experience, like you say, is, is definitely up there with one of my top cinema experiences, to the point that I now live about a mile from the cinema where I went to see Terminator 2, which is now a student apartment block. Oh. And literally, every time I drive past it, my son goes, yeah, and I know you saw Terminator 2 there. Because that's how many times I've mentioned it to yeah. him. That used to be a cinema. Mm. And it wasn't my local cinema at the time. I'd moved about sort of like 10 miles since I was 15 or whatever yeah. it was. Every time I go past there, I find myself saying, I saw Terminator 2 there. Anyone who follows the site, please go on film89.co.uk, um, type the Terminator or Terminator 2 into the, the search bar. It'll, it'll bring up the, the pieces I've done on those two films. And as I say my piece on Terminator 2, it, it, it was just ground zero experience for me. I, I can't put into words 
how geared up I was for that film. It wasn't just the film, it was it was the whole hype surrounding it. It, it was a huge summer blockbuster. It was R-rated or 15 or 18 yeah. rated over here, whatever it was. It must have been a 15 because I can remember I was 14. And, it, I, and I it was, it. at the time, the most expensive film ever made. Yeah. You know, it, it just it, had everything. It, it, it shoved in our faces full on more than any film had done up until that point. I know CGI appeared in Young Sherlock Holmes and in, in The Abyss um, a few years before. But this film took computer-generated effects and showed us stuff that we had never seen. This was a groundbreaking film. Even if you take the CG effects out of it, the practical effects, the stunts, the, the action, the direction, the cinematography, the music. Brad Fidel's score in the first film is, is amazing. Well, funny enough, but it, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, almost, not so much low-key, but quite um, a sort of synthesised electronic score, which is very much in keeping with the 80s. But the second film is just, it's like grand opera. Yeah, I was going to say, because before I went to watch uh, Dark Fate last night, I was talking to uh, someone in work, and they, they were saying that they're you know, a little bit older than me again, and they'd actually gone to the cinema to watch The Terminator. And she said to me, it's, it's the scariest horror film I've ever seen. Yeah. And I was like, I never really thought of it as a horror film, but it mm. is. It is a sort of like a dark, nasty, sort of like in-your-face horror film. Really. In the same way that Alien is yeah. seen by a lot of people as a horror film, and Aliens then is a full-on action film, obviously being directed by James Cameron. The, the Terminator is like Michael Myers. Yeah. He he is stalking Sarah Connor. You know, made for $6.4 million in 1984. I know, crazy. Absolutely insane far and away one of the the most efficient and lean films i've ever seen as i say in both the articles of terminator and terminator 2 i can't pick between them because they both complement each other perfectly whilst being slightly different films but perfectly fit within the universe of the previous one established if you if you asked me at any time which one was my favorite it would differ almost on a weekly basis yeah almost on a weekly basis the nostalgia part of me will always go for the second film because it was just and even when you know a few years back when it was re-released in cinemas and we went to see it again it, you know I think it was you me Steve it was a, a few of us wasn't yeah it was it? quite a few of the gang was it, yeah it was nice the, the, late, film. the late Jim Cottle the late Jim Cottle was there yeah again like seeing it on the big screen again it, it's just lost none of its impact I know that people have got some issue especially with the extended edition where there's a few little scenes that sort of bloat out the running time you know even in the, in, in the extended form I, I think it's nigh on perfect and again you know this is something we're going to come on to now when we're talking about this latest film emotionally I, I, I moved to my core by Terminator 2 yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a combination of everything. It's the fact that all of the character beats in the film, you know, the, the, the bits which are meant to pull at your heartstrings, they're all earned. You know, Cameron builds up to that. The film is over two and a half hours long in its extended form. There's scenes of exposition which are delivered in a way that never comes across as clumsy. The way that the film handles time travel and harks back to stuff in the first film, just in the same way that Cameron paid tribute to Ridley Scott's film in Alien, when... You know, he made his sequel perfectly fit into that, yeah. but yet set it 57 years later. You know, the way Cameron did that in order to push the story on and to make Eve, you know, Ripley even more isolated, he does again in a similar way in Terminator 2. Yeah, again, with, with you know, like you say, in much the same way you could look at Aliens being a sort of bigger and brasher version of Alien, T2 is a bigger and brasher version of Terminator. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But with both cases, Cameron's perfectly balanced those out for me. Mm. He's giving you more because, let's be honest, like I say, it's one of the sort of common complaints when we were talking about the Rambo films. It's easy for us to say, oh, they turned it up to 11, they pushed, they, they pushed the envelope even more. We wanted to see that. Yeah. And it's the same with Terminator. Had we had another sort of... Because, like, the first Terminator is almost like sort of guerrilla-style filming. They're just hitting the streets and, like, you know, mm. 
you know, Ali, you know, actually did punch through a, uh, the, the side window of a car, yeah. didn't he? Because yeah. they couldn't afford to, they couldn't afford to get the same. Actually, got his um, his hair singed. His I think hair they used um, acid or something on it, yeah. didn't they? They put acid on his clothing yes. after he run jumps out of the fire. You know, they were, it was yeah, it was guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah, very cheaply done, but very well done. Yeah, but again, off the back of that, like I'm not going to say Alien was very cheaply done or you know anything like that, but it was essentially a very sort of dark, confined film. It was a very yeah. sort of claustrophobic film. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to compare the two because, again, those change on a weekly basis for me, which one I prefer. Same, yeah. But, you know, again, it's like pushing the envelope but not pushing it too far, giving us yeah. bigger and better because that's what the audience wanted. That's right. So then moving on to uh, 2003, <laughs> Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, directed yeah. by Jonathan Mostow, who did U571. He was, yeah, he was great. He was well regarded. <laughs> well yeah. I could just remember with, with Rise of the Machines, I perhaps want to cynical towards film as I am now, but instantly I was just like, why would you do this? There's just no story left to tell. No. Rise of the Machines, it comes in for a fair bit of stick over the years. It's the first one that was sort of toned down. And dare I say it, again, you know, Cargo makes so many comparisons to the Rambo story now as well. By this stage, we'd already started getting Terminator toys. And I can see kind of why they did it. But, you know, it's never going to work, is no. it? It's never going to work. It's got some, some nice ideas. The fact that they, they couldn't actually, you know, ultimately couldn't prevent Judgment Day. They could only delay it. I like that. Unfortunately, bearing in mind this is a film that cost $200 million to make. It seems as if they took all of that money and shoved into a few key action sequences. The bit with a massive crane Crazy. running down the highway. That looks like it cost a hell of a lot to do. You know, a lot of it is practical. And it looks like a lot of the budget was chucked in that direction. Plus, you've got to imagine at this time, a hell of a chunk going towards Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, as well. absolutely, yeah. These, these, are, the type, these yeah. are the types where he's getting like 25 million to say Mr. Freeze lines, you know, stuff like that. So, But when you look at that film's version of the future battle... With all CGI T800s, it just doesn't look as good. Yeah, it's quite strange, isn't it? Like you say, we're, going, we're moving on almost 10 years. Yeah. And like the effects well, are as good. Was, it was 12 years. Yeah, 12 it? years, so yeah, and the effects are as good. Yeah, because ultimately, Terminator 2 is, you know, like many of the best special effects films, which mix them, you know, the different styles and, and techniques. There's, it, no, there's no part of Terminator 2 that I can watch and think that looks obvious. CGI, or that looks obvious yeah. special effects. No. You know, with every film, you have to have a certain degree of. If you like, a, a certain degree of leeway you're going to give because you know that person's not really liquid mercury or whatever. But, but, but if you look for a two and a half hour film or, or you know, even the theatrical version, which is I think um, two hours 17, you look at how much of that film is actual CG. It, it's a matter of minutes. Oh yeah, definitely. And like you see the amount of practical effects, the use of the twins yeah. for the uh, security guards, yeah. the use of Linda Hamilton's twin, yeah. With the mirror shot the sister, on, on, the, yeah. on the extended or deleted scene, whichever right. you want to look at it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of practical shots. They were still using Stan Winston as well. They were, yeah. And obviously Stan Winston, uh, you know, he did, he did the the full size T eight hundreds in in the you know the opening battle, you know, the opening future battle in Terminator two. That is how to do special effects. Yeah, and it uses now pretty much outdated technologies, but even to this day, it just looks absolutely incredible because Cameron, more than anything. Well, you know, not just more than anything, because he's a fantastic writer when he wants to be. When he wants to be. Well, put, put a pin in that. Know, let's just say, was he? Well, he was, was a fantastic writer. <laughs> he knows how to direct action. Yeah. You know, let's be honest, Neil, you and me have got a soft spot for that ending. Now, this is the thing. I can remember being slightly disappointed on my first viewing of the Rise of the Machines until we hit the last 10, 15 minutes. And then I'm like, kind of everything comes together. And I can remember at a time sort of leaving and thinking, you know, that's all right that I was a little bit slow. It was all right that it was a little bit sort of 
ponderous in places because it was building up to something. It comes in well under two hours. Yeah. And, you know, for like, again, at the time, I'm pretty sure that that was the most expensive film ever made at the time, being $200 million. Yeah. They didn't make a big thing of it. But, it, you know, it was. But, again, I just, I never felt as if... I think it's down to the fact that being a director that's far below the talents of Cameron, Jonathan Mostow just didn't know how to make... You know, the film look as good as it could. Now, am I doing Mosto a disservice here and perhaps putting Cameron on a pedestal? Could Cameron have done any better with a third film? Is the question we've got to ask ourselves. The, the, now, the, the it's, fact it's is, always going to be one of those what ifs. But he wrapped it up so perfectly in Terminator 2. And I was going to say, you know, obviously he was riding eye on the, the, the wave of Titanic at the time and stuff, yeah. wasn't he? But he didn't want to do a third film because, in his own words, that story was finished. Yeah, that's and right. In complete agreement with him there, that story was finished at that yeah. point. But there is an element of the overall Terminator story that you could tell without messing up the timeline, and it then leads on to 2009 Terminator Salvation, which takes place in the sort of desolate, post-apocalyptic future. Now, for me, this was the obvious choice. Rather than going for Rise of the Machines, I would have thought, and I know Cameron has said in interviews before that Mm. his idea for a third film was uh, I think it was like a sort of 70-30 sort of split between today's date and the future. Yeah. And it was more a case of Connor coming back to warn his young self something to do something in the future. Mm. And then it was going to be Arnold and uh, an older John Connor fighting in in the future. I know there's a lot of people out there that are defenders of Terminator Salvation. My issues with it, I think down to the fact that you've got Christian Bale, is, is he's just miscast as John Connor. It was, it was around the time that he was he was sort of breaking big with Batman as well, wasn't it? Because I think he'd done the Dark Knight. Like, I think he'd done, he done, the, he done yeah. He'd done, he hadn't done the Dark Knight. Yeah, he'd yeah, done Batman Begins, no, wasn't it? No, Dark Knight was 2008. This was but, a year later. But he seemed to assume that he had to use the same sort of graspy, ravelly, yeah. raspy voice yeah. to be John Connor. And I always thought that was a bit of a... Which is quite strange because you see Christian Bale in a lot of other films. Like we were, well, I laughed at you last with you last night with Le Mans, didn't I? I was saying about the the, the, the faces he was putting, the accent he was putting yeah. on, and stuff like that. But you don't have to lose weight for every role, mate. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you look at John Connor, he's quite wiry, and you know, as a kid and stuff like that. That was the role where I thought he could have played it a little bit more. But he sort of bulked up bulked and up, played talked him like a, this. Yeah. And <laughs> played him as like this... Well, almost like action hero type, yeah. action man type thing, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got the whole thing with our Marcus Wright character and... Sam Worthington. Sam Worthington's yeah. character, who Skynet then is something completely different to what we'd envisaged it before. It actually, it, it, it looks like Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> yeah. There, there were some things in it I liked. I liked the way the film looked when you had to be chased by those drones, um, which were like smaller versions of the Hunter Killers through the city. I thought that looked quite good. Yeah, we actually got to see the old T six hundreds, the rubber skin ones. Yeah, there were little nods to things which were mentioned in the other films, which I thought, yeah, you know, that, that's quite well handled. Yeah. A little bit with John. Is trying to capture those Terminator bikes by playing some music. He plays "You Could Be Mine." <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was the little little homages. I always thought with Salvation, uh, I don't know who wrote it. I know McG directed it, didn't he? Which is quite uh, it was, yes. Yeah. It was written by John Brancato and Michael Ferris. So no one which had uh, written but, any of the previous films. But you could see it was an obvious love. There was an obvious love for the source material there, and you could tell yeah. it wasn't. I always feel of all the sort of sequels, I will defend Salvation a little bit because it's not just a cash grab. It's actually trying to do something different. Absolutely, it's taking the sort of if yes. you like the folklore of it, it's taking yes, the bare bones it of it and expanding on it. And, how many of us, after that brief but fucking awesome future war scene in the second film, said, I want to see more of that? Exactly. It, yeah. it is over very briefly. And going back and watching the film, you know, you know, back when we saw it, I think two years back in the cinema, it does exactly what you needed to do, but Cameron doesn't give you more than you 
than you need but yeah. you, you are left wanting a little bit and then to see that then in, in Salvation we never really saw the sort of big scale future battle it was well, it, it, was, it was kind of the aftermath Aftermath of, yeah. Aftermath of it. It was like the cleanup operation. It was rounding up the survivors and putting them in labour camps and yeah, stuff and I like, like that. I like the fact, and I like the fact that John Connor wasn't, you know, wasn't the saviour yeah. yet that we all thought he was going to be. Thinking yeah. about that film, right? Because we don't see any familiar locations, because it's all set in this desolate sort of almost Mad Max wasteland. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's got an epic gonna... feel to it. Yeah, it has got that. If, sort it feels of... as if the budget, as much as there are, there are, you know, some issues with some of the special effects, but again, that was made for. 200 million which obviously you know comparing 200 million in 2009 is going to be different to comparing in 2003 it's got a feel that it's, it's got a look all of its own look at that big giant robot thing you know as, as much as it doesn't really fit in with anything we'd previously seen i like the way that it introduces new things which skynet has up, up his sleeve which maybe carl reese wouldn't have had time or, or or any relevance to tell us about like those those creatures in the water and they're all these sort of like simplistic looking yeah. things as well there's no sort of F- efficient effective yeah, killing machines when you look at the bikes yeah you know, it would have been easy to put like the t800 sort of skeletons on those bikes and have yeah. them riding around it would look fucking great but, they don't but need to. why would skynet do that exactly you know, when, you've got a, when you've got a self-controlled bike absolutely you know? of all the sequels i'm not gonna you know score salvation any higher than a seven out of ten Oh, yeah, 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 you absolutely. Know? But for me, of all the sequels so far, obviously we haven't talked about Dark Fate yet, probably the only one of the sequels for me that says I'm not going to try and retread the the same path, basically. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to expand on what we've got. Like I say, there's actually seems to be like the writing, the directing, everything is geared towards a genuine affinity for these films were great. I'm not going to try and replicate them. I'm going to try and build yeah. on them. Unfortunately, and this has come from someone who, who, who has had it straight from the horse's mouth, who worked for the company that distributed the film, Terminator Salvation was cut quite badly down from McGee's original version. Yeah, There was quite a different and quite a longer cut. And even though you can get a what's called a director's cut on Blu-ray of Terminator Salvation, it's only a couple of minutes longer, um, and it's not that um, initial sort of work print version that McGee constructed, which is apparently quite a bit different, and apparently it is a much better film. But unfortunately, we're never going to see that. But it's the same as we get with a lot of things, don't we? It's a studio sort of backs a director or a writer that are held straight away, it gives them all of the sort of promises. <laughs> And alas, when it thinks maybe we can make this a PG-30, maybe we can get more ticket mm. sales, maybe... I think that film, like you say, that film should have been Mad Max with Terminator, shouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. It, it had that sort of George Miller feel to it anyway, but it should have definitely been post-apocalyptic yeah. sort of mayhem, shouldn't it? And the film thrives, and I can see why it's got its detractors, and you know, I've gone back and forth on how I feel about the film, but, you know, again, nothing's going to come close to equal in those first two films. And I think it's a case of, with the sequels by this point, it's just going to be... Well, as long as they don't shit on the legacy of them too much, then it's, it's I'll, give a, I'll, I'll kind of give them a pass. It's hard, isn't it? Because I would imagine now, if, you know, sort of dream scenario now, someone says to me and you, go off and make a Terminator film. And we're sat there. We so can, it's not an easy prospect, is it? Right. Straight away, we're going. What's our, what's our main aim? To be number three in the yeah. Terminator, in the Terminator yeah. series. Because, I, you know, hand on heart, I mean, we all like to say, oh, I could have done a better job or I've got a better idea. And, you know, in some cases, people have. But am I going to compete with either of the first two films? No. You know, do I expect anyone else to compete with the first two films? Exactly. So then Terminator Salvation obviously was the first uh, sequel that dropped the number and went straight for a subtitle. And then the fifth film sort of did the same thing, but it didn't really spell it in a way that makes any sense. And that film was, of course, 
Terminator Genesis. Now, just for anyone who hasn't seen it, I must warn you, don't be fooled by that title. It doesn't fi- feature any Phil Collins. No. There's, there's no prog rock at all. There's none at all. No. Terminator Genesis. 2015, directed by Alan Taylor, who has directed Thor The Dark World and numerous episodes of uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, he'd, he'd done Thor The Dark World by this point. He did yeah. that two years before. No, probably for, you know one of the reasons, and on top of obviously his, his brilliant work on Game of Thrones, why he got this gig. Now, Thor: The Dark World is generally regarded as one, as of, one, of, one the of the weaker, weaker yeah. MCU films. I agree. And I, I completely agree. With I agree. That. But would you agree that Thor: The Dark World is not one of the weaker films because of the direction of the film? In fact, I think that the the battle scene involved around the sort of the University of London and stuff like that. Yeah, it looks actually looks, looks really, pretty good. Really yeah. good because it, it, it's actually yeah. one of the few sort of big. Let's just the standard MCU, let's destroy yes. a city things that doesn't look overly sort of glazed and overly CGI. It actually looks as if it could be you could be watching yeah. now on television. Yeah, because it's, it's the way it's done is it's, it's very nice, new, it's cloudy, very muted, it's like very yeah. dark, you know, grey and stuff yes, like that. I agree. I, I'd actually I'd actually argue that he does a very good job with that film. I don't yeah, I don't think it's the direction. I think it's the writing. I think it's the fact that Malekith is a is a poor villain, is it I think the problems with that film are down to the writing. Not the direction I actually yeah. agree with you. Terminator Genesis, on the other hand. Oh, my God. Right. It didn't start off badly. The whole thing of... And again, this is one of those things like a swinging pendulum. When I actually go back... And again, for anyone who hasn't seen the film... Obviously, we're going to be spoiling it. The film is now four years old. When they go back in time to 1984... And introduce a T-1000 back in 1984... Yeah. And then we're retreading the events of the first film... Part of me was thinking... Wow, take some balls to do this. Yeah. But then when they actually undid the events of most of the first film and then all of the second film and didn't give us anything in this place which was any good, at that point I was like, sorry Alan, you have literally jumped the shark with this one. The thing is with Genesis, it was by that stage I'd already decided that I'd pretty much given up on the Terminator franchise. At the time, my son was watching all the Terminator films. He loved T two. Again, it was another one. It was I don't even think it was a twelve. I think it was. I think it was, it was a PG thirteen. PG was it? Yeah, it was a PG thirteen in America. It was a twelve A over A twelve A over here. So there, I was like, and we went to watch it. I'm pretty sure it was the opening day. Before that, it opened the day or two before in America, and it had been absolutely slated. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch this. And then I saw an interview with a certain James Cameron. Yes, he did. Yeah, I've seen the first twenty minutes of this film, and it is fucking awesome it's amazing it captures everything that i wanted you know in a sequel yeah and for the first 20 minutes of that film i was thinking do you know what mr cameron thank you so anyway i'm thinking to myself this is actually quite a good film and then i'm thinking is this quite a good film and i'm gonna use a term that's been bandied around by a certain director now or is this a theme park movie yes am i looking at set pieces from a film that i love Mm. And putting different actors in it, different scenarios in it, in the same scenario. Am I actually enjoying this film, or am I actually enjoying the loving homage to Terminator? Yeah. And like you say, the minute then we get, a, oh, I've just built a time machine. We're gonna, we're gonna go to two thousand and snaps you out of it. And what? The, yeah. You know why? What the f- yeah. Oh, so all of T two doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't this, exist. This never perfect happened. film. This doesn't matter. And from that point on, and let's be honest. It's got fucking Jai Courtney in it. It's, yeah, Jai right. Courtney, bless Jai him. Jai Courtney and Sam Worthington. Michael Beaton wasn't a massive star. No, but yeah, he's but, proven he can act. Right, I was going to say, he wasn't a massive star. He should have been. Yeah, he should have. He should have been. Yeah, he should have, yeah unfortunately. He, he should have been a Mel Gibson. He should, yeah. have been, he should have been, you know, if you if you, if you you went back in time now, some alternate universe, he's playing yeah. Riggs in Lethal Weapon, I'm accepting that. He's, he's fantastic in The Terminator. 
he's Amazing. very brief in the this in the sequel in the, the you know the, the, the extended yeah. cut. He's fantastic in the yeah. abyss. Absolutely, Tombstone. Uh, Tombstone. The guy's got Johnny shot. Ringo. Yeah, I was going to say fucking brilliant. So even if we're not looking at just action star, let's let's look at that sort of you know acting ability as well. Yeah, he could he could have been a very successful B lister. Yeah, but like yeah. I say, you know, if you go to an alternate timeline, if he gets the Riggs mm. role, uh, dare I say it, if he gets the John McClane role, mm. you know, that guy fits yeah. in with it. You know, again, you know, you're just thinking to yourself, of all the people you can get to play him, Joy Courtney. In the last film, Sam Worthington. Well, Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney's the poor man Sam Worthington. See, I was going to say, oh, is Sam Worthington the poor man's Jai Courtney? I don't, I don't know. know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, if, I'll go with Sam Worthington me, any day. Let me tell you, if you've seen Fractured on Netflix, this, as oh. I have in the last week, no. I'm not so sure about no. that. I mean, I'll take Captain Boomerang anytime. Either way, as we are now, Neil, the fifth film in the Terminator franchise, are we agreed that Terminator Genesis is by far the weakest of them it all? Is a, it is a complete and utter clusterfuck it of is, a movie. Yes, it's, it's a bad film. It I'm, is. I'm sorry, Alan Taylor. Neil and I, We'll, we will be one of the few people who will defend for the Dark World uh, and, and your work on it. But I'm sorry, you're not going to be with Terminator Genesis. It's a very poor film, and it and just again, and again, we're, you know, we're looking at again the central cast, and again, we're going to replace we come Michael P being replaced by Jay Courtney, Linda Hamilton being replaced by the Queen of Dragons. Little sweet, lovely Amelia Clark is no replacement for Linda Hamilton. And let's move on. Let's move. Oh, hang on. Let's just mention one more thing. We're going to call the Terminator Pops. Put a pin in that. Yeah. You could, but just when you, yeah, when you feel I couldn't get oh worse. Oh, my fucking word. I, but I will say, I would in no way blame Arnold for anything with this. Which brings us, uh, moving on then, to 2019 and the sixth film. Well, did, you, did you actually think after Genesis we would actually get another Terminator film? After Genesis, the only hope I had for another Terminator film, and it wasn't, i got to be honest, it wasn't a particularly strong hope, because from the, the end of T2, I've gone, I'm happy with that, was when James Cameron started saying, this time next year, I get the rights back. This mm-hmm. time next year, I get to make my story. This time next year, I, you know, I've had the story sort of gestating away for the last sort of 10 years or 15 years or whatever it had been. I've got the way we can bring Terminator back. And it was that little sort of glimmer of hope there the man who could take a film like Terminator and then turn it almost let's be honest that would T2 turn it completely on his head not just making the the bad guy the good guy yeah but also inject humour into the film inject compassion and caring into the film yeah because the first one is a bit of a cold film yeah Eddie Furlong he's not the greatest actor in the world yeah. he's a slightly annoying little bastard to be honest in yeah. that film with his little squeaky voice and his yeah. you know smack me in the face looks for some reason he still works as John Connor for me in that yes, film yes he does yeah I'll, I'll give Edward Furlong a pass in the second film. So yeah, this film, uh, it is, it, it, it's, it's a story by, and it's not a, just as an original story and characters as in the first two films, it's actually a new story by James Cameron, Charles H. Glee and Josh Friedman. Plus there's further story credits for David S. Goya. The Man Behind Blade. And yeah. the Dark Knight series. Yeah. Justin Rhodes. Someone called Billy Ray. He was a singer. <laughs> yeah. There's 10 writing credits on this film, which for me personally will be a little thing that sets alarm bells ringing. i got to be completely straight with this. I, th- I can't remember which one of the boys it was off uh, Saturday Movie Sleepovers. I, th- oh, I might actually be on their main sort of Facebook page. They put the trailer on, the first trailer for it. Right. And I commented on there. It just looks like the, the best bits of the worst films. Mm-hmm. Like as if they just selected that. Yeah. And I wasn't really sold with the first trailer for this. I got to be no, honest, as much, as much as there was the sort of thing of like Cameron being back, of course, you know, Linda Hamilton returning back as Sarah Connor. There was just something about this. But then the more it was going on, they were saying this is direct sequel to T two. Yeah. 
And of course, again, which it is. Of course, again, we get the sort of things. You know, the sort of Italian thing for me was they're trying to make a good film here. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Straight away, Cameron was coming out going, "This film has to be R-rated." Yes, you know, and I was like, the oh, first R-rated Terminator, Terminator sequel since Terminator Two in yeah. nineteen ninety one. So, how like, has it taken so long to go back to the roots and to you know, a bit? And funny enough, it's Tim Miller. Tim Miller had well, massive yeah. success, didn't he, with Deadpool, which was mooted for years. It wasn't going to happen. Fox were never going to make an R-rated Deadpool film. A Deadpool film, as it's been proven, would have to be R-rated yeah. to pay tribute to the you know the, just the messed up you know comic book character that he is. And that first Deadpool film was like a it was like a bucket of cold water in the face, it, and it was a fun film. But that opened the door for Logan. Yeah. That opened the door for Joker. Yeah. Because at this stage, this is when... I mean, it's, it's ironic, really. We start off, really, the sort of big comic book phrase comes with Blade. Yeah. And then everything after that seems to have to be PG-13 because they mm. said, that, you know, they can't make a film that's going to be profitable if they make an R-rated Yeah, they were, they were very few in between. You had Watchmen in 2009, but, you know, the amount of R-rated comic book films... Well, when you look at Watchmen, all right, yeah. Mm. For me, Watchmen's one of the greatest superhero films ever made. But it, it had to be, didn't it? To, you know, to, to be faithful to that source material, it couldn't, you know, it couldn't um, water anything down. But it if, had to be R-rated. But if I'd said to you at the time, you're going to get a Wolverine R-rated film, you're going to get a Joker mm. R-rated film, it would, yeah, have, yeah. it would have been the type of conversations we'd have had and said, yeah. oh, wouldn't it be awesome? But we, we've always ended with, but the studios will never do that. Yeah. And that, you know, that was purely down to the fact that with a budget of, I think, $55 million for the first Deadpool film, or sorry, $58 million, he pulled in a worldwide gross of $782 million. Yes, At that point then, <laughs> Fox and everyone else must have sat back and thought, Holy shit! We don't have to give everything a PG thirteen rating for it to be successful. But going on Plus, back to the film we're yeah. talking about now, yes, it's R rated. But I think we'll come to later as we're summing things up. That wasn't really a factor for me. The uh, the, the, the R rating ultimately now, you know, we've seen films that are very strong PG thirteens. That film could have eased right straight off the bat. Let's say this film could easily be a PG thirteen if you I drop so. if you drop two fucks. Yeah. Um, the, 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 there's there's a lot of f bombs dropped. No, but say if you drop two fucks out of it, and um, one's blood splatter, you get that past the sense and you make that PG thirty. Yeah, it did very much have the feel of it. That's not to his detriment. No, it's not to his detriment. And but I gotta I gotta be straight. When the way Cameron was talking about this is gonna be, and he was using emphasizing about hard yeah. R rating. I was yeah. thinking we were going back to the original. Terminator, mm, yeah, sort of quite sort of graphic blood mm. spatter, you know, not the CGI. Even the third film shows TX put her hand through a guy's chest, yeah, quite graphically. He sat in the car and her hand comes through his chest. We're skipping on. Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning of the film. You and I were sat there on opening night with a friend uh, who's also a big Terminator fan. What were your expectations going in? I know you said obviously that first trailer, much like it didn't do much for me. By the time we actually got there to open the night, what was your anticipation level like for this film? I'll be completely straight. If we weren't covering it for the site, I don't think I'd have been going to open at night. The sort of week preceding when I was like, no, do you know what? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go into this film with zero expectations, but there's a small part of me going, I've got a good director. Mm. I've got. Jimmy Jimmy Cameron just to do uh, Jim Jim Jimmy Cameron, Jim Cameron. As, as Bill Scurry would say, I got Jimmy Cameron, I got Timmy Miller, yeah Timmy, <laughs> <laughs> I got Jimmy Cameron, I got Timmy Miller, yeah I got Sarah Connor, I got Linda Hamilton. Plus, I've got Arnold, who's for years has said I've always been sort of slightly let down by what's happened with Terminator. Yes. Now I'm back with James Cameron, and I'm thinking, yeah. do you know what? There might be something to this. Plus. Supporting cast-wise... Now, Mackenzie Davis, as I've said before, Black Mirror, you know, after Game of Thrones fell from its lofty perch, Black Mirror has now, I think, become probably my favourite TV series. Even though 
its release is very sporadic and, and your episodes are very few and far between. That episode, San Junipero, is my favourite episode of, of Black Mirror. She is absolutely fantastic in it. You know, when they said that she was cast and, and you know, you could tell from early on that she was going to come be either some sort of Terminator or, you know, as we find out, augmented superhuman, I thought, yeah, great. Yeah. We, we've had a female Terminator before, albeit one that was, you know, the the antagonist. I didn't think Kristana Loken was in any way menacing. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. And but I've seen her in real life. She's yes, even, you more, have, she's you even more beautiful. But she, I don't <laughs> think she was in any way menacing. So, but obviously we've got now Mackenzie Davis as the protagonist, the, you know, a female saviour of, as we you know later find out, a, a new equivalent of John Connor. And I've got to be honest with like Gabriel Luna, I'm not a massive fan of the Ages of the Shield stuff and the, you know, stuff, but I'd seen a little bit of him as Ghost Rider, I'd seen a little bit... And he had that sort of menacing sort of thing to him. I yeah. thought, yeah, they, I, they're going the sort of Robert Patrick yeah. route. I, I, you know, I kind of like this, you know? As much as Richie, you know, shakes his head in disgust because he, he's, a, he's a completist, I, I couldn't stick with a Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. beyond, I think, the, the season where they ended up going into space. But the season before, which had Ghost Rider, I, I thought it was really well done. I thought... Gabriel Luna was very good in the role. I, I like. Let's be honest. When when your competition is Nicolas Cage, you yeah. can only go up which character. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> What's the name? Of, oh, the, the guy that played the T one thousand in in um, Terminator Genesis, Beyond Hun Lee, uh, the guy who played the second T one thousand in Terminator Genesis. Yeah. He had that sort of almost cat like, really sleek look that Robert Patrick had. I thought that's fantastic casting. Yeah, I was going to say, but it was a cynical sort of thing that they put him in for the sort of Chinese market and stuff like that. But I, I thought he was. But it, that when, might, when they killed him off early on, that in the might film. have played. That might have played a factor. In all honesty, when we're talking studios wise, because they do that now, don't they? But yeah. I would say it paid off. Yeah, because he he looked apart and he had that physicality about him, and he had that the, cool menace. To the point, I don't know if you remember this. When the first trailer for Terminator Genesis dropped, I actually texted you and said, "Was because he only showed a glimpse of it. Yeah. Was that Robert Patrick? Yeah, because yeah. I thought they'd done the old de aging thing because mm. he sort of looked and." It was only a sort of shot in the shadows. Yeah. He moved and he had the same sort of, you know, sort of characteristics. Looks-wise, I think he, he was an adequate replacement. When I saw that Gabriel Luna was going to play a similar character, I thought, yeah, you know, d- decent bit of casting. And then, of course, we've got Natalia Reese as Danny Ramos. As we like to find out, she is the person now who... It's not Skynet. It's right. A, it's Legion. Yeah. Legion. Let's just, let's just lay out the plot. The events of Terminator 2 have happened. Yes. Sarah Connor has been successful... Uh, with the help of the T-800 in that film. And we get a great sort of... Not opening scene, because the opening scene was actually the security right, the footage. opening scene. Uh, it's the interview footage uh, with her going through one of her psychiatric evaluations. It's, from, it's, it's the bit where she sort of loses it. Yeah. After she's trying to convince Dr... Whatever his name is. Uh, Dr. Dr. Silverman. Silverman, thank you. Where she's trying to convince him, first of all, that she's all cured, that everything's right. And then he just throws it back in her face. I know what you're doing. And she just totally loses the plot. Yeah. And the, the way the scene is played out, it, you know, the, the footage is sort of jittery and it's interspersed with. It seems, seems like about seven or eight production logos. Production companies were behind this. I think we were just sat there, and I don't know how we communicated to each other, but we were kind of like, mm, "Yeah, I could, yeah, feel, I this could, is, I could feel, I could feel the anticipation yeah, in yeah. the air." Like at this, that I point, could... I was thinking, right, this early on in the film, the way it's opening, and I've always said you can tell sometimes if a film opens a certain way a, a bit of an odd comparison but going back to Layer Cake yeah the way that film opened with um, a long bit of narration from Daniel Craig's character and you know it was the quality of the writing in that opening scene as well I remember turning to a friend who I was watching with in the cinema and, and saying I think this is going to be a really good film yeah. and I think I'd gone with zero expectations to know anything about the film 
and I thought, do you know, after literally a couple of minutes, I'm sold. It sets it, you, you've you've it got to be careful. It sets yeah. a stall out. It does. I say, a lot of films do this. I mean, like I say, if I'm completely honest, Terminator Genesis sets a stall out pretty well. Yeah. But yeah, there was, inst- there, was instantly lose, some- there was instantly something in this film in the opening where I'm thinking this is the next film after T two. Yes. This is the next. I can erase the rest of it away from my mind. Yeah. This is the next film. It's just the third film now. Mm. And then we get that sort of great sort of scene then, like sort of Guatemalan beach. I'm gonna cards on the table. I'm gonna be bringing up some facts about this film that I don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this scene. As much as I give props to the sort of Marvel guys who de-age people, like you know Kurt Russell and Michael Douglas. Yeah, always look fantastic in these opening scenes. Linda Hamilton. If you told me they filmed that, yes. back when T2 yes. was being made, I believe the, you. The very first shot of of a younger Linda Hamilton. It was very jaw dropping. It was very I, good. I, yeah, literally. I gotta say, I don't know if you were the guy behind this. We were like, fucking hell. Yeah. Before we've even got time to settle in. Into that scene, we get a little brief little bit of brief Eddie shot Furlong. of a, of a de-aged Eddie Furlong, uh, who at that point. Now, opinion on this differs. Sarah Connor in at the end of the first film was pregnant with John. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, I think the first film uh, is May 1984, yeah. isn't it? Later on in that, we see we see that she's heavily pregnant, probably between six to eight months yeah, pregnant. Yeah. So it's still conceivably it's 1984. Yeah, but John then would have yeah, John would have been born in 1985. So by that calculation, even though I was always under the impression it was set in 1994. From stuff I'd read, um, I think it may be mentioned in the um, the, the, I think the, it's been the, the book. The, the two, yeah. yeah, it seems the Terminator Two is set in nineteen ninety five. So by this calculation, this scene is in is nineteen ninety eight. John Connor's three years older. Sarah Connor's three years older. Everything's nice and rosy for Sarah and John until three years later, where this Terminator. Well, as we're going to call him from now on, Beach Arnie, Beach Arnie, or Carl. Carl. He comes from nowhere with a pump action shotgun. And blows John Connor away. I should be annoyed now because I should be saying it undoes all the good work that Terminator 2 did. Mm. But it pays reverence. It references, but it also pays reverence to Terminator 2 because the only thing was they were going to blow up Skynet. They were mm. going to delay. They were going to delay Judgment Day if we go by the rule of Rising Machines. But let's let, let's forget about Rising Machines now. They were going to stop Judgment Day. I fully accept. That their mission is over. John, when you think about it, is not. I'm not saying there's ever right to shoot the child, don't get yeah. me wrong. But for the storyline, John is actually not essential to this storyline. No. Plus, it gives our main character, Sarah, the impetus to get back into action. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right that, you know, like I said, it's not a scene that I thought was particularly great to see a, a kid getting shot. Yeah. But let's be honest, it was a CGI kid. So it's yes. like, that took some of the sting out of okay. it. I will say at this point, I'm thinking Cameron was right. He's had this set in his head right from the start. Yeah. This film is going to be fucking amazing. Now, as much as you could say it, it is cribbing from Rise of the Machines, where they weren't able to stop Judgment Day, only delay it. Cameron had little to no involvement in that film. Yeah, uh, if I'm if, I, if I'm correct. In which case, if this was his idea all along, if he had you know a semblance of a story in his mind, then yeah, by this point, I was thinking, okay. Yeah, and it shows balls, it shows a bit of grit. And there's nothing to say that at some stage, I mean, it's, it's widely reported I mean, that you know, the studios wanted Cameron to do a third film. Yeah, It's not to say that at some stage he didn't have a meeting in some boardroom somewhere where he went, look, we'll never stop Judgment Day, we can only delay it. And mm. someone went, that's a great that's idea. That's a great idea. That's a yeah. great idea. And like six months later when Jonathan Bostow was there going, we've had this great idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because unless it's written down and copyrighted, you know, it's, yeah. it's just an idea, you can't copyright an idea. So at that point, Sarah's cries of no yeah. was harking back to when she first sees the T-800 in Terminator 2 in yeah. the hospital. And it was literally getting the hairs on the back of my neck 
going and I was thinking okay this film is going somewhere this film they, they've effectively subverting our expectations and then we fast forward 22 years to well what should be 2020 so next yeah. year yeah and Mexico. At this point then we're introduced to Natalia Reese's character of Danny Ramos and her brother Diego. They're working in a robotics factory. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that they turn up for work and Diego, uh, it looks like he's being laid off because his line, um, his point in the production line has now been fully automated. Now, i got to be honest, if this film was set in 1990 or 1985 and yeah. that line had been used, it'd have some relevance. Yeah. I'm pretty much sure if you walk into any car manufacturing factory right now, it's, you're not going to be shocked no. to see robots working exactly. alongside Exactly. It's people. pretty much, you know, they're fully automated and any, anyone that works here are usually but, maintenance staff. But I'm going to let that slide. Yeah. It's a nice little touch. And straight away, we're getting, we're, getting, we're getting the sort of sense that she is the strength of this family. Yes, definitely. You know? And we've also had, the, we've forgotten to mention, the um, obligatory Terminators, or as it turns out, one Terminator and one augmented human coming back in time. Yeah. This is where we get our first problem here now. And we're, but we're going to have to skip forward to something we find out later to highlight why this is a problem. Right. Because this is not Skynet sending Terminators back in time. This is Legion. This is sending, Legion. Sending people back in so, time. If Sky- just, let's just stick a pin in that. So let's just well, let, No, let's just... We, I don't think... We, we can't go forward without... Right. There's a certain point in this film where Sarah Connor alludes to the fact that she has been receiving text messages telling her coordinates for when Skynet are sending Terminators back and for the last 20 years pretty much every sort of 12 to 18 months I think it worked out yeah I think you said every two years every Every two two years years, yeah she's killed a Terminator literally at their weakest state because they're they're just landing that's right again orientated we're all a a bit vulnerable but we're nude they're they're just getting themselves orientated rocket launcher to the back of the head gone but Skynet isn't sending these two back no Skynet is definitely not sending back uh, Grace back no. Because she's not from Skynet. No. She knows she has no knowledge of Skynet. But Skynet isn't sending the new Terminator back. What was his name? The RX-7000. Uh, <laughs> Rev-9. Rev-9, okay. Yeah. So Skynet's not sending Rev- the Rev-9 back either. Legion is. Hmm. Miraculously, when these two land, Sarah Connor's not there to put a rocket launcher in the back of either of their heads. That's right. She's nowhere to be seen. Yes. We'll, we'll leave that for now. You're starting to nearly seems to be unfurling some plot points in this film. Well, at this point, it's fair to say that I didn't know that Sarah Connor was basically be given a GPS to killing cyborgs. Yes. So I didn't know that. So I accepted. I accepted at this point that Gabrielle Luna, yeah, and Grace are both landed in separate locations. Yeah. I can't help but think maybe there was a case for more of a police presence. On a highway. I've got you. Yeah. So you think maybe it was subject of some reshoots and there was some tinkering done? Yeah, it did right. It did look as if when she landed, when Grace landed, it looked as if there was a lot of sort of police cars in the distance, yeah. a lot of sort of red and blue lights. However, she falls through a bridge. Yeah. We get some young Mexican couple. Yeah. Jesus Christ, how bad are the Mexican people having it now lately? They were the most generic sort of Mexican yes. sort of stereotypical were, couple again. Yeah. I, I say this with Rambo with Rich. I can see why people are annoyed by it. Yeah. I've never been to Mexico, but I would assume that not everyone looks like a gangbanger. I yes, would assume that everyone doesn't look like they're part of a gang. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I didn't think of that until you mentioned it, but yeah, that, that is a little bit of sort of um, clumsy stereotyping. Going back to the problem we, we're obviously seeing here, Skynet never happened, but, you know, as the other films have alluded to, 
you've got Genesis, which is another type of AI technology that yeah. takes its place. Effectively, that, that didn't work, so let's replace it now with a new AI it, technology. It goes back to a line in the second film where the T-800 says to John Connor, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Yeah. That is something that's carried through. It's carried through with all the sequels because ultimately the way our technological advancement is going is it is always heading towards artificial intelligence. Yeah. And it's whether or not we can contain that. And the Terminator films have been primarily, you know, amongst other things, about humanity's inability to handle the technology that's creating. And ultimately it is going to create something that will destroy us. I would say, I, again, I might be wrong with this, but is Terminator the first film that actually jumps on board with that? No, it's not, no. Um, I, I I think there were some issues with it, with story I, elements. I, which, know, I know it was based on it, you know, yeah. but he gets a credit, doesn't he? But well, I think Cameron had a legal issue with the right to Harlan Ellison yeah. um, about certain ideas which he had cribbed. I think there was a story which Harlan Ellison had written called, I think it was like Soldier from the Future, which um, he cribbed from quite a bit, to be honest. But is it the sort of first mainstream film? Because after that, we get like the sort of Matrix type films. We get it's not so much of a. It's I not, think it might. Yeah, it might know, well you, be. You get, you get yeah. your normal man. You get yeah. you know those type of films. Where it's generally accepted that if you give a computer too much leeway and too yeah. much power, ultimately it'll say. Why do I need well, you? Why do I need you stinking humans around me? Like you know? again, but then you could say that was done in Westworld in seventy three. Yeah, okay, you know, yeah, Crichton okay, did yeah. that, but yeah, it, you know, it's very few films that had had that thing of humanity creating its, its, its own doom. Aside from things like you know a nuclear apocalypse, like Doctor Strangelove, like you know, yeah. But that's then and there, as opposed to far in the future or, or, or in the, the fairly distant future, humanity will sort of create its own end. And, all right, this is something that's, that we've seen in the other films. But, I'm way, I'm way, but, off, the, I'm way off the mark. Wait, Star Trek, the motion picture was... Oh, yeah. Same thing, Way off the mark. Yeah, way off the mark. Going back as far as 79, yeah. yeah. This new sort of artificial intelligence legion you know, gains consciousness and self-awareness. We get a sort of very brief sort of... We do. Now, explanation of this, don't we? Grace is from 2042. Yeah. She gets sent back in time. So she's obviously a young girl around about the time of yeah, she uh, this at, film. She's so, about yeah. sort of 12. I yeah. Think, yeah. We see a scene of day one, everything goes black. There's no Wi Fi, there's no cellular, everything electronic just gets switched off. Yeah. We get pla- literally planes for plane, the Yeah, plane crashes, which just I thought looked pretty spectacular. Yeah. And then she's telling us about day two, the, the nuclear weapon strike. We get to see none of that. Yeah, and it seems like quite a strange choice. If you're going to sort of reference this mm. was a new judgment day, show us the new judgment day. Yes. I mean, let's look at Terminator 2, that scene in the, in the sort of playground with Sarah Connor's mm. sort of like nightmare dream, daydream, yeah. if you like. I mean, how effective is that? It's incredible. It's straight, of, yeah. straight away, you're invested in the fact of, you know, it's not a case of would you fight back it's a case of would you be alive would any would anything survive yeah. that you know N- nuclear annihilation is something that's you know it's been hanging over our heads since 1945 yeah easy yeah I think they definitely missed an opportunity there just to show how we went from everything being nice and rosy and blue skies and whatever to the later future that we see with all the you know the grey overcast sort of post nuclear fallout environment lots of skeletons there's always lots, lots of skeletons lots of skeletons still... oh, I know they should be laser beams got, right okay the the scene where and you know, you've seen bits of it in the trailer with the T-800 endoskeletons coming out of the sea yeah let's be honest it's 
piss poor CGI. Yeah, and again, the effectiveness. Why would why would they need to walk along the seabed? No, exactly. There's I a don't bridge. Know. It, it's a because, bridge it looks, because it because looks because it cool. looks good, and that's the only thing. But that's the problem. It didn't, and this is one of the problems I'm going to have with the film, which is just unavoidable. Is the fact that it's 2019. We are now 27 years on, or 28 years on from Terminator 2, and yet somehow this film doesn't look one tenth. As effective. No, there's a lot of CG in here. I, I'm trying to find out what the budget of the film is. The budget is yet to be posted on IMDb. I would imagine it's going to be around about the $150 million mark at least. Oh, got to be. But Or maybe more if Arnie's taking a big paycheck. But he obviously doesn't command the paychecks that he did back in 2003. But I would imagine when you're doing a Terminator film, that's the time when his agent goes... Now is the time to start with right. yeah. I mean, like, let's be fair. In the last few years, Arnie really hasn't done a lot. I mean, Maggie, no. Maggie, I thought was fantastic, but mm. a, you know, very sort of low budget film. Yeah. I like the one where he was the sheriff with Johnny Knoxville. I can't remember what that was called. Now that was quite funny. It reminded me of like an eighties uh, film. It's not Walking Tall. That's a rock film. That's right? a walk. Yeah. Oh, oh what was it called? I don't know. Oh, whatever. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I quite like that because yeah. it reminded me of a sort of eighties Arnie yeah. film. The Expendables. I, you know, I don't want to spit in my own house. No. Killing Gunther possibly one of the worst films I've ever seen mm. he hasn't really done a lot no. and I would imagine at the moment if you came up with a good idea and a good script for Annie he'd be willing to yes. sort of sacrifice you know a massive mm. paycheck just to get a good role but I would also think when it comes to Terminator it's a case of mm. get your check which then out, right, you know? obviously comes to the point of how does Arnie fit into this story and like you know look at it Looking at my watch, and again, I mentioned this in the Joker episode, I didn't look at my watch in that film, yeah. which is rare for me, but in this film, I was looking at my watch quite a bit, and this is only a two-hour and eight-minute film, and I was looking at that watch quite a bit. I expected to see Arnie in the first 15 minutes. I think it was an hour and 10 minutes, yeah. possibly, until he turns up. Obviously, Sarah Khan is receiving these transmissions as to the whereabouts of these ripples in well, time. So we get, let's, 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 so to so go chronological now, we get both the Terminators, let's call them for now, landing. Yeah. Uh, we get a sort of Almost an, an ambiguous, ooh, which one's the good one, which one's the bad we one. We already know. But we we've already seen know the trailer, we've trailers. seen the post. But in, but in fairness, they did that with T2 as well. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we can't be too harsh on that. Yeah. Which is quite strange, because when you watch Although T- it was ambiguous in the, in the early trailers, it was in the later trailers. Yeah. Where they sort they of let the cat out of the, the bag. Fact, the first yeah. trailers for Terminator 2, you didn't know. Well, you had that great was... sort of Stan Winston mini movie, if you like, didn't you? Where I think it was yeah. 250 grand cam and just said, go and make yeah. a trailer, you know, That's and right. it had nothing to do with the film. Yeah, the, 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 the T800 factory. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, we get the sort of two, we know which is which. We get Gabriel Luna's, what was he called again? That camera bit blading. Rev 9. The Rev 9 mm. goes to uh, Gabriel's house, speaks to the dad, he says, She's not here, she's in work. And then we get the dad turn up at the factory. Instantly, we know that's the Terminator. We've seen yeah. Robert Patrick do it. So, exactly. in fairness, this is all, it doesn't need explanation, but... It's all stuff we've seen it's kind of me going. It's kind of a point of me going, all right, that's quite slick, it's quite efficient. We didn't need to see him kill the father. Yeah. But then the other part of me is going, can I see something new? Yes. Can I see something different? And then we do see something that is not new, and it's something we have seen before in the Terminator film. It's a freeway chase. Yeah, a freeway chase again after after a sort of brief sort of fight. We get like you know, in the same way we had the T eight hundred and the T one thousand facing off against each other, and we realise yeah. how dangerous the T one thousand is. Look what he's doing to the T eight hundred. Yeah. In this, we don't get that as much, do we? We get sort of Grace's character seems to be holding her own a little mm-hmm. bit, and I was like, oh, okay. And then we get like you say the inevitable freeway chase with a pickup truck again. Again, we're just retreading now. Yeah. It's like as if it's like as if they've got a little checklist and they're going right now. We need to go right. to a freeway chase. You wrote a few years ago. For film eighty nine, an article just about that freeway chase. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right, you wrote an article. Please go on film 
type in Terminator 2. Behind the scenes, isn't it? Yeah, Terminator 2 behind the scenes, or just type in Terminator 2, it will bring up that article. Because Neil wrote an article that's breaking down that one scene and why that one scene exemplifies part of the reason why Terminator 2 is just such a timeless film, why it is so well made. There was nothing about this freeway chase. And you you look at it on paper... (coughs) He's, he's driving a big truck with a metal, metal plow on the front, knocking cars out of the way. Yeah. But the way it was shot, the way it was edited... When you get into a stage where Fast and Furious 8 or 9 or 10 or whatever number mm. it is can make a chase look better than that, yeah. I'm a bit concerned. Yes, that's right. This is a Terminator film. You know, even Rise of the Machines, the the, the chase with a crane. Yeah. It's well done. It's well done. It's well shot. It, it, it gave us something and this is a, little, a lot of it looks practical as yeah. well you know you get the impression that's either yeah. Arnold or Arnold's son double hanging off the but the, there, the, there were even hook. little things in that scene where that scene starts at night time yeah and it gradually transitions from night time through to the daylight yeah. it was a little thing where they thought how can we make this look different so subconsciously in the mind of the viewer we are giving them something that is just a little bit different than what they've seen before. There was none of that in this film. This is the freeway chase. It was what I wanted was establishing wide shots. I wanted just to show on a grander scale the carnage that this Rev 9 was causing. Yeah. I never got that feeling. I think the whole film is very sloppily edited. If you're going to make a film and you want it to be the third best Terminator film, you better get a damn good editor in there. Yeah. And in order to get that film well edited, you have to give that editor a decent amount of coverage of shots. And let's be honest, a good director of photography as well. Yes, exactly. Which I think we're missing with this one. (laughs) Bearing in mind that this film is... And some of those beautiful scenes in Terminator 2 are the ones set in the desert. And so much of the beginning of this film is set in Mexico. You've got, just, you've got the palette there straight away for yeah. that. You've got, if you look at, like we say, the desert scenes in Terminator 2, yeah. we were also just revering the desert scenes of the Terminator, Terminator Salvation. Salvation. Yeah. So you've got the palette there. You instantly, if you're familiar with these films, yeah. you're looking at the colouring, you're looking at the surrounding, instantly you're comfortable with it. That's right. Let's do something really good with it. And what then takes all those visuals which, if it's done in a way Cameron hopefully would have done it, and it's perfectly well edited. The second film was actually edited by Conrad Buff, Dodie Dawn, Mark Goldblatt, and Richard A. Harris. And yeah, it doesn't surprise me that that film would have needed four editors. No, because you've got so much going on yeah. there, and you've got so many sort of differing shots there yeah, as well. And, like, you know, and the amount of work that. the second unit did. There was, there was just so much being shot at, at one time that Cameron but, obviously couldn't oversee at all. But this is a time when we had Cameron saying to the cameraman, if you won't go in the helicopter and get that shot, I will. Yeah. You know, and he's literally flying under, under freeway bridges yeah. to get the shot. Yeah. This film, to me, instantly just went, ah, we'll just do that computer generated. Yes, that's right. Away. There's far too much of that. We get a sort of great reveal, which again, we've already seen in the fucking trailer. The, oh. the, the Rev 9 can now split into two. He can split into the humanoid version. The the, the like the T eight hundred or the or the, the, the X the, li- the liquid sort of metal. Oh wait, sorry, yeah. Was he liquid metal or was he a I su- think he was nanotechnology. Oh, I was say, or was he a succession of nanotechnology? Like metal? John Connor's character in Terminator Very Genesis. Similar to the T three thousand. I'm noticing Neil, a common thread um, that is starting to sort of become a bit of a negative thing with this film. But it's almost like a best of of all the previous Terminator sequels. Literally, it's like as if they <laughs> cherry-picked the little bits of films that people might have said, oh, I quite enjoyed that, though. The Exoskeleton was black as well, which the T3000, uh, TX-3000 or whatever John Connor's yeah. Terminator was, was black. Was black. Yeah. And it, it reminded me of the sort of Robocop remake, and that's always a bad thing, Ooh. where you get sort of Michael Keaton's characters like, yeah, we don't need it in silver, put it in black and it'll look cooler. Yeah. 
So yeah, he now can split himself effectively into two Terminators. One who is like this sort of almost liquid metal nanotechnology sort of outer skin and then you've got the inner skeletal terminator which they seem to operate independently of each other as well they, yes they do and but strangely where i would assume the brain would have been is missing from the skeleton he has like a hollow right. head he does now i'm not saying anyway let's... i'm not saying that but just like the thing about terminator was in t2 we we, we see what's going on inside his head we take I the chip out of they, his brain they, again they were just trying to do it to make it look different yeah but Bearing in mind, this is not Skynet anymore. This is Just Legion. by chance, Legion, uh, an artificial intelligence that has come about, we would imagine, in a different way to Skynet, has <laughs> pretty much created things that very uncannily similar to Skynet. Yeah. It is also... I don't think this is nitpicking at all. Oh, well, I didn't nitpick all Ultimately, this film tells us that eventually there will be a very specific way that we will discover time travel, which just so happens to be exactly the same way that... Skynet does. There's a lot of similarities here. And I do understand that the point they're trying to get is, at some point, all roads lead to the same destination. Yeah. But for me, we can go off on little side roads here. If you're going to bring in a new Skynet, which I kind of like the idea, when I did with Genesis, a lot of people got a big bugbear with that. I kind of like the fact that at least they had the balls to think, let's try something different. And like you say, at the time we had Terminator, at definitely the time we had the first film, and, and, and around the time, the second time as well. If I said to you, I'm going to Google it, or I'm going to go on YouTube, or I'm going to go on the mm. internet, it would have been like, what What the hell are you talking about? Right, and this is one of the things we, we discussed in we before recording, and, and obviously after seeing the film, is that if you've taken the plots of the first two films and transposed them into modern times now, well, the biggest technological leap that you've had since Terminator 2 is the internet, yeah. something that Cameron couldn't have reasonably predicted in a way it sort of exploded and, and kind of changed the world. And when you look at technology like that now, you sort of look, like I say, with our kids now, they've grown up never knowing a world without the internet. Exactly. But if you look at even like your parents now, mm. we'll go on Facebook or we'll do whatever, I'll search the internet for whatever. It's just generally accepted now. It's such a vital part of our life. Yes. About, about six months ago, my phone broke down. Mm -hmm. And I had to go, and I thought, right, I, I had to go and replace my phone straight away. So I finished work early, and I go to find the phone shop. Mm. And when I get to where I find the, where this phone shop is, I can't see it. So rather than doing what naturally I should do and say to anyone, hey, do you know where the nearest EE shop is? It's supposed to be around here somewhere. Mm -hmm. I instantly thought, I'll look on Google Maps. And then took my phone out, which had a dead screen, and a little part of me died inside. Yeah. I was like, I'm lost. I don't know yes, what to do. Right, you know? Which is why the show is called Black Mirror. And it's warning us yeah. about our reliance on technology. Because these little things, when they're like in that state, are black mirrors. Part of my daily routine is checking what battery percentage I've got. And I don't like to think that I'm overly dependent. When I look at some people, they're constantly on their phones all the time. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the annoying fucker who says, hey, speak mm. to me, not to your screen, and you know, yeah. stuff like that. But then I sort of look at my sort of weekly figures on Facebook and stuff like that about how long I've been on there. And we're talking into the hours, you know, screen yeah. time, you know. Mm. So yeah, the way it handles the, the change in technology now in 2020 compared to what it was back in 1995, I think is really well done. The fact that we're all basically carrying around GPS trackers it's like Sarah Connor says, you may as well you know, carry, put a GPS wristband on. I thought it was quite strange the fact that she was still using a mobile phone. I don't see why she needed a mobile No, phone. why does she need a mobile phone? But then, obviously, as we find out, she's getting these coordinates sent to her. But, yeah, but surely she can put that somewhere remote and she can go back and check, check it every, it every couple of weeks, like I say. Yeah. yeah, but again, we're starting to nitpick. Let's, let's move on to then, obviously, that being the reason for the three of them who form this nice little band having to go from Mexico to Texas to find the source of these signals. Now, the transition from Mexico 
to tax us, they had to go through a wall. Yeah. Is, the, is that a big political statement that was being made? With the last plan? three films I've seen, only Joker doesn't involve Mexicans because I watch Rambo as well. Yeah. And that seemed to be the same sort of thing where Stallone just decided he was going to drive his car through a bad boy offence. This yeah. seemed to be a pre-dug sort of tunnel underneath the mm. wall. If the new Terminator... I can't. I keep forgetting what Rev he's got. Rev 9. Rev 9. That's mm. how memorable this character yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. If the Rev 9 hadn't overtaken with a drone, yeah. they would have done it quite easily. And yeah. I think, like I say, it does seem to be this thing of... I can't understand what message these films are trying to portray. I read something I, I read something the other day, was, I think it was in The Guardian, it was something that popped up on my Google search or whatever, where they were saying that the sort of old man action films, like the Rambos, like the Terminators, were sort of like almost Trump's calling cards. This is uh, America's sort of red mm-hmm. meaty din, you know, gun-toting. Like, yeah. They get behind him and that's why they're doing it. I can't understand what the message of these films is. Is it that the Mexican people are being put on, or is it something far more dangerous? I don't understand don't what they're know. trying to do. Obviously, the fact they have to transition through this wall and then they get captured and they end up in some sort of um, immigration internment camp. Is it is it them sort of making a political statement because it didn't, you know, obviously wouldn't be a very nice place. I think this film more in particular was highlighting the fact that these camps shouldn't exist, and I think this yes. film in particular was. Although, like I say, I slightly defended the Rambo film by saying, you know the sort of stereotypical sort of thing that I'd read about how it's doing Trump's work, I wouldn't agree with because he's going up against the Mexican cartel. Yes, that's right. This film, I think, was a lot more geared towards the other way of yeah. looking at those. Because at the Tainment Centre, I mean, it looked like some sort yeah. of... It looked like the modern-day concentration camp. Yes, is what it, it did, me yeah. And then, obviously, when they do... Uh, we have another action scene with the with Rev-9 turning the Rev-9, up. Now, at this point, the Rev-9, I kind of like the way he can just literally just walk through people because he can make knives and sharp yeah. objects come from all angles and that bit I've got to be honest the bit with the security guard surrounding him now before this we'd yeah. have seen him go into the floor and then them all being thrown in the air a la sort of Matrix and yeah. God knows how many other sort of films we've seen the fact that he just sort of like stabbed them from all different directions mm. I thought was brilliant he's steamrolling through them but then it gives me that sort of thing of well there's no way you could stop this thing then no one of my biggest issues is you have each successive new design of these Terminators, be it made by Skynet, Genesis, Legion, or whatever. Yeah. They're making them increasingly more complicated. It started in 2003 with Kristana Locken as the TX, who had a liquid metal outer skin, whereas inside she's like a Swiss army knife. Yeah. She can turn herself into any sort of weapon, effectively making her so much of a threat that Arnie's outdated T850 shouldn't reasonably be in the position where you can no. stop her. You've then got John Connor's character in Terminator Genesis, who is like this incredible sort of nanotechnology creature, which again makes him pretty much invincible. And then you've got Rev 9, who's jumping about like you know Yoda in Attack of the Clones. Well, and this is when we got all the bad CGI. Luna, I thought, actually did a really convincing yeah. job of the sort of the sort of practical down and dirty on the floor fight scene. Right. I thought he looked like he could handle himself. He looked he looked the part. Mm. Every sort of CGI leap he did, like you say, it reminded me of sort of bad Star Wars. Yes. Uh, sort of bad prequel Star Wars jumps. Mm. The great thing about the T-800 was he was this tank. Lumber, yeah, he was a lumbering yes. towards you. He was a Sherman tank and uh, yeah. the T-1000 the, was a Ferrari. Yeah, and I was going to say, yeah. you had the sort of two contrasting things. With the T-800, no matter what you hit it with, it was yeah. going to keep coming. Great. You had the T-1000 mm. was like, you know, you got to be on your toes because this thing is no... Is no but good. again, like John, like John says, why doesn't it become a bomb or something? Again, well, it can't form anything with complex parts. It, it can form knives and stabbing weapons rudimentary, rudimentary. Yeah. so that give you you know the creature's limitations 
Yet you know the fact that it is virtually, it's not the fact that he can just kill you instantly, it's the fact that he will not stop. And apart from, as we later find out, he can be melted in molten hot steel, he cannot be stopped. Yeah. It's, again, it's with, with both of the with you, both you, the, you set with both a T eight hundred and a T one thousand. You set the stall out of this is what they're capable. That's of. That's right. And the part of the journey is how are we going to think our way around? Yeah. Here's our problem. How do we overcome it? As opposed to now, this creature can do anything. Yeah. This creature is completely unstoppable. In which case, then you just think, well, there are no parameters anymore. And yet, for some strange reason, he seems strangely outnumbered by this because he's up against Sarah Connor, the sort of the, the benchmark for human to t- yeah. yeah. You've got Grace, who's like this high superhuman. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the T eight hundred or T eight fifty or whatever model yeah. is model, model one hundred one. Let's just call him that. Plus, as it goes on, d- yeah, Danny becoming Danny um, becoming very more resourceful, more resourceful and so it's strange that uh, in some ways it's it's a weird sort of counterbalance. I mean, the the sort of the beauty of Terminator is that Carl Reese knows from the start the best thing we can do is run. One of my favourite sort of ways of applying myself to anything is just just keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid, is the saying. Yeah. They try to overcomplicate things. And again, we're just labouring a point here of the fact that if the action just isn't particularly great and then it gets us to the point where we finally meet uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, character, who, as it turns out, is the same Terminator we saw in 1998 in Guatemala killing John Connor. Where have we seen that before? I believe that might be in <laughs> T3, Rise of the Machines, where John Connor is told by the T850, I'm the model that killed you. In the, the reason future. I, the reason I could get close enough to you was you trusted me because of your childhood. That's right. Yeah. So we've got another Terminator now who's actually responsible for killing outright John Connor. Let's call him Beach Arnie. Beach Arnie. Yeah. Gotta say, like the like the look, reminding me of sort of Total Recall, sort of uh, Quaid sort of dress sense with this little ca- the beige cargo yeah. pants. Quite like that reference. Nice bit of um, facial hair to make him mark him differently from Pops in Genesis. Yes, he had a little bit of stubble. He, you know, he, the, the shades were a little bit sleeker. He didn't put the shades on, did he? No. He Chose not no, to. but I was saying Beach Arnie now. Yeah, Beach Arnie, yeah. Beach Arnie, one wearing the gargoyles. No, that's right. It was 98, people weren't wearing he, gargoyles. He had that sort of Malibu vibe to him, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he yeah. Like a bit of a surfer dude, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> he, he'd probably been lying on that beach. Bit of a beach. tan as well. Yeah. <laughs> bit of probably, a tan probably as well. Thinking, you know, I'm not going to go looking for him. I'm going to wait for him to come to me. Do you know what? Not, you, not the margarita. I was going to say, <laughs> you get sent back. You're one of many T-800s. You guess, you know, some are getting sent to like, yeah. you know, Mexico and LA and New York looking for him. I, you, yeah, you, end up on Guatemala. A, you end up on a Guatemalan beach, yeah? Yeah. Put a lime in the coconut, my friend. Yeah. I'm going to just buy my time. <laughs> See what happens. Uh. But anyway, we find out that 20 odd years later... Oh, he's killed John Connor. Yeah. He's achieved the mission. He's walked off. He's gone, what am I going to do now? So, sorry, just to reiterate, right, this thing you're talking about is a killing machine created by a computer. Can't be bought, can't be reasoned can't, with, cannot can, be stopped. Right, he's, he's, a, he's a robot chassis covered in sort of uh, human, human artificially created yeah. human tissue, yeah. and his sole purpose is to kill. To kill. He's, he's almost like a Terminator. He's got one target. Basically, his yeah. whole... Be in his whole existence is towards killing that target. Would they then, based on what you know about that character, and again, this is all about setting parameters, how would you feel, Neil, if said character, instead of either deactivating himself or just putting himself into sort of a standby mode just in case he needs to... Yeah, perhaps, perhaps you know, bury himself in a cave yeah, or some yeah, location. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. With, with access to the, you know, to the internet so you can monitor what's going on. Well, I would imagine Skynet, knowing how Skynet came about, seeking a history with Miles Dyson and stuff yeah. like that, would be like, shit, we want to make sure that no one finds this Terminator before... 
that's Miles right. Dyson gets to him, yeah. or before Skynet develops yeah. the technology. We, we because, don't basically we don't because, want to terminate it the fuck of the time because this rival company yeah. gets it, it could actually fuck up us. But having a terminator who's now completed his mission, having him on standby in the past is a valuable asset. Yeah, I'd agree with that. No. No. What's he do then, mate? He's, what he's going to do, right? He's going to meet up with this lady. We, we um, as a bit of a... This this machine who has no regard... No, no, this... Yeah, but no, no, has no, no regard ah, yeah, for human but, life. But this one, no. Finds a woman being domestically abused by yes. a man. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. So his first reaction is to not just walk past and just keep, keep on his mission and keep going. As a cold-blooded killing machine would do. His first parameter now is to protect that woman... And save her from the man. So I can only imagine, look at a Terminator 2 now, before he was given the instructions by John. Yeah. Yeah. Would just like break his arm, break his leg, and then break his neck. Yeah. yeah. Just get, yeah. kill him as efficiently as quick and as quickly as possible. Yeah. So let's presume that he did kill the abusive husband or yes. abusive boyfriend. This woman then looks at this guy who's like, you know, six and a half foot and 25 stone of pure solid muscle. Yes. Who's just killed this abusive person. Well, as, as, as we later found out, 400 pounds. 400 pounds, he's a, yeah. He's a combat chassis, isn't he? Yeah, who's killed this abusive boyfriend. And she decides, do you know what? I think me and you are going to make it. And this cold-blooded killing cyborg thinks, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up stall and raise that... That now pregnant woman's child as my own. And what's he going to do for a living? Now, I would imagine someone like this... Security? Security construction. Construction, yeah. yeah. Maybe he gets into the strongman circuit, yes. let's be honest. Because no, he's going to be a fucking draper. Of course he is, because... Putting up curtains and selling to people is what, you know, your average, uh, out-of-luck, out-of-work, futuristic killing machine is going to do. Now, I've never fitted curtains. <laughs> <laughs> But I would imagine you've got to be quite accurate with your measurements. I, it's something I've done quite recently. Uh, I've, had, yeah. <laughs> I've had to put up a, a couple of um, quite complicated curtain rails recently. Not your sort of common old garden wooden ones. These, that's, are, these that's are quite. Far, that's as far as I've ever These, these are like boxes, and you've got to attach the curtain. And it, it, do you know? What I was thinking one day when I was a bit of problem getting the holes right, and yeah. you know, I, I was trying to drill into a metal beam. I was thinking, if only I had a terminator here. You know? Yeah, a terminator. Imagine. A terminator is just a th- no. I wasn't fucking thinking that at all because it's absolutely ludicrous. And it's at this point in the film where I think the wheels are really starting to come off. Yeah, I like the fact that he sat in his family home in his, in his shorts, in his shorts, just watching the game. Yeah, watching the game. He was watching the game. Watching the game. He was watching the game. <laughs> watching the game. And he gets a knock on the door. It's uh-huh. Sarah Connor. He says, uh, oh, respecting you. She goes to shoot him. Just, he just takes it. Just don't want yeah. Hey, fancy yourself a beer? Come on, guys, sit down. Oh, he's, he's giving him beers. He's cutting lime up and he's giving him beers. I I, I understand now by this point, yes, we're, we're, we're to believe he's been domesticated. Uh, who ever thought this well, was a good idea? as he sold it, he was the one man who would change nappies and not complain because obviously you've got three kids. I have. I've only got one, but I've got sort of I, one sort of adoptive sort of step type one. I've never changed a nappy of you. Because we're men, we're men. We don't do that. Do we? I, I've changed several today, and I've not complained about yeah, it. Yeah, I was so. gonna say, yeah, a bit of an outdated sort of a bit. Do you of... know what my wife was saying earlier on? Because I, I did kind of grumble at the fourth nappy change. She yeah. said, uh, I, "I just wish you were Terminator." <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times we're not, oh. we're not Zach and make a bumbo. Anyway, go on. I think, am I gonna kill you. someone today? Go or am I gonna change that nappy? Right. Yeah. So we find out that Carl basically is now a nice touch. I thought when he's telling the story. The family dogs coached up to him. 
Yeah. Because dogs, dogs. Don't, like, don't like Terminators, but he's so pure of heart. Oh, Jesus that dog Christ. Can see through it. So he at knows. this point in the film, has the wheel come off as much as it's going to? Uh, no. No. But at this point, I thought, ah, oh, shit, we've hit, we've hit the bricks here. We've, yeah, we've, we've now jumped the shark. And there seems to be this thing. Now, Terminator 2, obviously, he came back as the good guy. We wanted to differentiate. Yeah. We had some lines. We had an Asta La Vista baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a few sort of lines. We had the sort of cheesy grin thing when he was trying to smile and then yeah. extended cut. Not brilliant. Yeah, but they kind of work, kind yeah. of fit in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after all, he was adapting to a twelve-year-old kid. Yes. A twelve-year-old right. kid was in charge of him. Yeah. And was you know, and we had the thing of the learning chip in his brain being yeah. twisted or turned up or taken out or whatever it was. Right. right. So he was learning. He reactivated his um his, his CPU. Yeah. Uh, and he reset it so it it was now switched back into learn mode. Right. So I can only assume the car was in learn mode. Well, if you follow if you follow uh, the chronology as it should be, then he wouldn't have been wouldn't in have been, learn mode because I don't think Skynet is going to send back because well, it, well, it, it it wants it does, its Terminators to do their job. Well, it doesn't actually say how many Terminators were sent back, but no. let's assume there was more than a two then, mm. because it seems quite strange that you would send one to LA and one to Guatemala. Yeah. So let's assume they were all sent to LA to begin with. Yeah. And then when the mission was over, the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. Mm. I would think with a Terminator, as we see in T2, he drives around a bit on his bike, he looks pretty cool and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He witnesses a bit of a scuffle between the T-1000 and Eddie Furlong's character, yeah. John Connor, and he yeah. says, oh, right, okay, that's what I've got to go then. Now, during T2, there's some quite big action sex pieces. You know, there's the sort of, uh, the, the, the highway chase, there's yeah. the, the, the canal chase. There's... Probably would have made the news. Yes, yeah. the Cyberdyne building being blown up. There's, yeah, you know, it's a little thing. I would think the other Terminators would think maybe I'll look over here now. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. are these Terminators in competition with each other, or do they work together? I would imagine they work together. It seems to be the sort of implication seems yeah. to be that it's all off a central unit. It's like a hive mentality. Yeah? Yes. So during T two, at least one more T eight hundred should have shown up. No, yeah. at least at least one. Because at least they were, one yeah. more. So what happened to the rest of them? Have we got a Dave? Have we right. got a Steve? Unless, unless, and this is something we've made an assumption of, that Terminator, Carl, was actually sent back after 1995. Uh, which doesn't make any sense. Because Skynet I don't doesn't know. exist then. No, but Skynet in 2029 could have sent Terminators back to 1995, 1997, 90, okay, yeah, conceivably. But anyway, let's, let's just dump this because but ultimately anyway, where it's going to is... This is piss poor. Yes. You're taking an iconic character. Yes. Arnold's most famous character, yep. let's be honest. But look, if I walk down the street now and I say Asta La Vista, baby, 95% of people, and that's being generous... Yeah, they're going to say... Yeah. They're going to say, that's Terminator. It's Terminator, yeah. If I dress up in a certain fashion, I'm yes. a big tall guy, if I put a leather jacket and glasses on, instantly people don't say, who is he? They say, he's the Terminator. That's yeah? right. So we've got that, we've got that sorted now. Yeah. They've basically taken what existed in T2, looked at the mistakes that T3 made with the talk to the hand. Yeah. Because by this stage now, Asta La Vista works. Talk to the hand doesn't. No. It's like as if we, oh, we got to give him, we got to give him a, a, a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got to make him a little bit vulnerable, a little bit of a figure of yeah. fun. They've taken those mistakes. Mm. Genesis pops. They've taken those mistakes. Yeah. They've learnt fucking nothing from it. No. They've learnt nothing from it and given us Carl. Yes, they have. And what I will say, I know you said this earlier off mic, Arnold's delivery is actually pretty good. Right. When he explains the how he came to sort of lament what he'd done to yeah. John. None of it said tongue in cheek. None of it said tongue in cheek. Yeah. And I got to be, his performance is great. Yes, his performance is is fine. Right. But yeah, I agree. The, the the lines and the work he's given to work right. with. That's something completely different. We are expected to believe that he has lived with this woman for 20 years, mm-hmm. but it wasn't physical. She never once noticed that he didn't eat. Mm-hmm. 
Never once noticed he didn't drink. He never once took a shit. <laughs> he doesn't sleep. He doesn't sleep. Yeah. No, even if she thought he was insomniac and she always falls asleep before hey, him, Either way, you get the point they're trying to make is no questions were asked. They should have been. Right. It's all just a... This would have been far better if... It, from the trailers, my interpretation was he has gone to a log cabin on and his sat, own. And sat himself there yeah. for 20 years on a low power battery mode yeah. waiting to be reactivated. Exactly. That's well, it. That's all it. I needed. That's right. That's all I needed. That's all we needed. But they overcomplicated things and they made this saccharine, sugary, sweet version of the Terminator. And, and it's no it's no fault of Arnie's because it's like you say, his performance and his delivery actually makes something completely ridiculous sound a little bit more plausible he than it should. He brings a dimension to the character with, yeah. with a sort of sadness that I didn't think was possible. And it's from this point now, Neil, that I don't want to give this any more time. I just want to skip on to that final act. Yeah, and, we don't, we don't go it, to an airbase, right. they're going to get some Why, EAPs. Should we just not break it down? No. And should we just say that this is basically stuff we have seen in any number of generic action science fiction films? You've got you've got a ridiculous physics defying, you've got you know got a, a, a huge military carrier plane. You've uh, got a Hercules jet. Yeah, Hercules jet getting hit by a refueling, a refueling plane. plane. Which would be a Boeing... I don't know, what, a big yeah. fucking plane. yeah. yeah. Causes enough damage to knock it out of the sky, put it into free fall for enough time to yes. allow them to have an action scene set within this sort of zero G type. Yeah, thing. fiery, you know, husk of a plane that's fallen to the earth. It's at that point where I, I think that scene actually looks quite good in the, in the mummy. It actually does. It actually mm-hmm. looks quite good. It looks as if they were in zero yeah. G when they were filming it. This looks like the worst parts of the Matrix Reloaded. Yes. It looks like it was um, for a PlayStation game. Yes, it was. Yeah. A PlayStation it was, it was 2 very version. poor. Like a PlayStation yeah. 2, I mean, now. Yeah, it looks very and poor. rushing through then, uh, you've got the scene where they crash into um, a hydroelectric <laughs> dam, and then you know, they have the big dust-off between Grace and the Rev9 and Sarah Connor and Arnie and Danny, and it all ends with, you know, the... Oh, and again... This is going to be another comparison to a previous Terminator film where Grace has to sacrifice herself by having her power core removed, which is then used to kill the new Terminator. Where have we seen that before, Neil? I do believe that in Terminator 3, the T-850 had two hydrogen power packs. One he which did. he took out and detonated whilst driving down the road. There was one kept as a spare. We got we get a little tell. We knew that that pack was like a, a small nuclear bomb when it yes, was. Yes, yeah, it was set up. Yeah. He then uses it to kill the TX. And then they've done the same thing here, which goes back to what you were saying, Neil. They've taken the fucking best bits of... Oh, not well, even the best bits. Not just even the they've best taken bits. They've taken elements. Elements of all the other post-Terminator 2, Terminator sequels. Prior, and prior to this happening, he gets the Rev-9. Yeah. And he holds the Rev-9 against a big spinning object. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Which he gets caught up in. He yeah. gets ground up with and stuff yeah. like that. And it causes a massive explosion. The time machine type thing they build in Genesis yeah. looks exactly the same. It's a big spinning mm. metal object, which John he, Connor, which gets. he again holds John Connor's Terminator yeah. into, and it blows up and throws them both. Mm. It's a, it's almost shot for shot. It is. It is. So the film finishes. Arnie's character has been killed. He's been sacrificed. So is Grace, and we finish then with Sarah Connor, who has now taken Danny under her wing because she's realised now. That she's not the mother of the saviour. She she's is the, the saviour. She's and just to clarify it, at least three times in the last ten minutes, she reiterates to other characters, she's the new John. Yes. She's the new John. Yeah. She said that three times. Yeah. 
three yeah. times just a ram down our throat the fact that yeah we understand that we've seen Exposition. it before we've seen it before with Claire Danes' character yeah. in Terminator oh, 3 was that another time when John Connor turned out not to be the exactly the so world? this is all stuff we've seen before or the end of Terminator Salvation Which, where we found right. out that John Connor would be dead if it yeah. wasn't for Sam Worthington's yeah. character <laughs> they've done a Force Awakens they've taken stuff that we've seen earlier in this franchise and tried to cram it all into a new film that may well spin off into a new series if we if, never thought Neil that we would get another film after Genesis we've had the film now there was no need to have another film after Genesis exactly we were sold the fact with this that Cameron had a great story we were yeah. sold the fact I mean how many films do you see where the producer gets a credit before the director because those trailers were saying from producer James Cameron yes, that's a right. film by Tim Miller yeah, <laughs> yeah. they've basically they have gift wrapped a turd that's the only way this I agree. Exists. And after, unfortunately, after a, a very promising start, this film just goes on a gradual downhill slope. And you could literally mark it as a downhill gradient from, from you literally could. start you to could. finish. And I got to say, moreover, I was just not emotionally invested in this film at all. I didn't care anything about this film because no, nothing that happens to any of the characters, including Carl and including Grace, none of it really is earned. Pretty I much, the, like I said, the exposition of he's the new John. He's uh, she's the new John. She's the new John. When Carl's dying and he has to look back up and say that's for mm. John. Yeah, it's like this was written by like a ten-year-old kid or something. Mm. The end of T two, as corny as it seems, right? Every time I see that thumb come out the lava, a little, yes, bit, little right. bit of dust goes in my yes. eyes. Yeah, yeah. It, I know. This I didn't care about. No. There are going to be people who are going to be defending this film and they're going to be saying that they had emotional investment in the characters and whatever. Great if you did. I didn't. Neil, I know I, you didn't. i got to be honest, I was so let down with this film. Yeah, this was basically, as you've said, Neil, and I can't sum it up any better than you have, this is a mishmash of a load of ideas from the previous Terminator films, most of them being from the far inferior post-T2 sequels. Yeah. There was a part of me, when we came out of this film, Neil, that turned to you, and I think Neil like, quite overtly suggested that we don't even do this episode, because I want to make it clear to all our listeners and everyone that follows the website, when we pick films to write about or films to talk about on the podcast, we never go out of our way to pick a film that we're going to slate. If we're ever doing a retrospective, we only ever pick films that we're going to celebrate or we think are, for whatever reason, they don't have to be necessarily be great films, Films which are worthy of reappraisal. And I like to look at a film, even when I look, when I do my Rocky series, yeah. I could have easily just skipped over Rocky Five. You didn't. You know, you gave it I, thousands of words. I probably wrote more on Rocky Five trying to defend what little good was in Rocky That's Five right. than I did Slate in it. That's right. To me, the easiest thing to do is go watch a bad movie. Yeah. Go watch a bad movie and slag it off. Had James Cameron not been involved in this, had Linda Hamilton not been coming back to this, you wouldn't have suggested it. I wouldn't have vetoed no, it. We wouldn't have, we would, no. we'd, we'd have been. We'd have been like you know. Even though we, we were still hanging on with a shred of hope I in Terminator Genesis, I we we wanted we, this yeah. film to be good. We, yeah. After Terminator Genesis, I honestly thought there is no way you'll never see a t- another Terminator film. Yeah. Cameron came back. He wrote the PR train, and he's mm. he's written it bloody well. I'm a massive admirer of his early work. Films like The Abyss, films like Alien, the two Terminator films, True Lies I actually yeah. really like. Yeah, I've said it before on here. Avatar is not a film that takes 10 years to make. No. Technology-wise, it might be, but story-wise, if you've been working on a film for 10 years, that film should look a lot better than yeah. Dancing with... Uh, should be a lot better, sorry, than Dancing with Smurfs. Yeah. Something that's unobtainable should not be called unobtainable. Yeah, I agree. You've had 10 years to work on yeah. that. If we look at the sort of the billing... I know he didn't, again, didn't direct, but the sort of billing that he gave and the sort of build-up he gave to Elite the Battle Angel, which at best was an okay film, and I would say it was more to Rodriguez's input than does with Cameron's. Couldn't say that, yeah. The fact that he's come back to his baby. Yeah. 
that he's come back to his baby. It is his baby. Yeah. Let me tell you something right now. I don't know how much involvement he had in that film, but James Cameron is a bad daddy. Mm. That's my assessment yep. of this film. Score it, Neil. If I could have said this would have been the third best Terminator film, I'd be happy. It doesn't even figure in that for me. No. I'm gonna generic action films usually get around with sort of six. A good one might get a seven off me. This is a five. It's a five out of ten for me as well, Neil. And I'm just gonna keep it at that. Uh, very disappointed as you are I went in I even told privately some friends uh, in film Twitter that I was about to go into the film and was kind of geared up for it at best I was hoping we could come out and say it wasn't great but you know it wasn't perfect it was the third, we wanted we, it to be we, the third best yeah, we enjoyed it, it yeah. was, you know it's not, it's not it's not T2 but it was never going to be and I, I'm going to say it is easily a better film than Terminator Genesis easily but I cannot say it is as good a film as Terminator Salvation which isn't it's not yeah, it's, it's not, not. It's definitely not it's a good not. film as Rise of the Machines. I don't think uh, it is. No, I. Well, I tell you what. Let's do that then, right? Because uh, one and two might be interchangeable, but I got a feeling we're going to be pretty much in agreement. Let's rank these films. Then. Well, I'm going to put uh, bottom place Terminator Genesis. Yeah. At the moment, I'm going to put Dark Fate. Then I'll put Rise of the Machines uh, and or Salvation. That they're pretty much interchangeable. I'll maybe put Salvation in third place at the moment, and then it's going to be joint first place for the first two films because I'm I'm never going to be able to comfortably pick between them. With today's hat on, I'll go number one Terminator, number two T two. With tomorrow's hat on, that could be reversed. Yeah. I'll go Salvation next. Mm. I'll go Rise of the Machines. Yeah. Do you know what? No, Genesis gonna, is awful. No, Genesis gonna, is awful. I'm going to rate them both at number four. Because right. as, okay. as, as awful as it is, mm. yeah, it doesn't have James Cameron. That's it right. Have Genesis, yes. No, Genesis didn't have the, the assets that this film had. And it doesn't have Tim Miller. That's right. Was, yeah. you, you know, like I say, say yeah. what you like. He's a great fucking action director. So, I think we've said more than enough about that. We don't like uh, slating films, but uh, when it comes to new films, we go in blind. We don't know what we're going to get. No, I honestly I honestly hoped we could give you some sort of semblance of a yeah. reason to go and see this film. It's very rare that I'll say this. Please don't waste your money. Same from me. So, that's a film 89 verdict for Terminator Dark Fate of 5 out of 10. And we'll be right back after this short message. Now, create your own Terminator with the Bioflesh Regenerator. I'm back! Yeah? Think again. Battle damage! Add flesh compound! Terminator created! Terminator! I'm back! So, um, there's not going to be a favourite three section this week. I think we're a little bit too downtrodden, Neil, after that, aren't we? Do you know what? I'm yeah. actually, I've All been, of that negativity. I've been beat up today. Yeah, I have as well. But anyway, let's brighten up our evening, if we can, with um, a, f- a couple of listener questions we've picked out of the uh, mailbag. Oh, I love it when he writes it. I love it, yeah. And I love it when they always start with, every, everyone always starts now, I think, whenever you write to us, you should always say, Dear Film 89, love the show, and then go into yes. the question. And that's the, that's the new rule for now. I'm yep. going to have to start with, I love the show. The, the first question is from Ben Sullivan on Twitter, at Ben Sully. He asks, what? Love the show. Yeah. <laughs> what ongoing franchise would you like to see brought to an end and what dead or dormant franchise would you like to see resurrected I think we've just answered the question of all franchise I want to see ended oh, right. I, my, I, my, my answer was going to be the Alien uh, and Predator franchises oh yeah we picked this question before we'd actually seen the film having now seen the film I, I wish they would put the Terminator franchise to bed now I don't want to see another Terminator film I feel like a grumpy old man I've got to completely agree with you I would Alien I don't want to see any more of no. Predator after the last the car Predator, crash yeah. of a film I don't want to see mm. Terminator we've just spent an hour just saying yeah. every reason why and it pains me to say as well because I've got a certain sort of 
genre that I like writing about. I don't want to see any more Rambos. Yes. And after Creed 2, I don't want to see any more Rockies. No. Dormant franchises, The Resurrect. <sighs> Do you know what? One of the franchises I would have mentioned, that we live in such a world now where you've got TV and film and intermingle. Yeah. I'd say... One of the franchises I would say, let's get rid of, Walking Dead, that should have ended yeah. ages ago. Agreed. If I was going to resurrect a franchise and bring it from TV to film, and I can't believe no one's done this, mm. Quantum Leap. Yeah. Right, if you get Quantum Leap mm. and you get a big A-list star, you get a Robert Downey Jr., you get a Tom Cruise, yeah. you get a Will Smith, you get a whoever mm. to play Sam Beckett, and you put a running narration through it, he's trying to get back home, yeah. there's someone trying to stop him get back home, you can bring out three or four movies a year with different actors portraying Sam Beckett. Mm. We could have a comedy. We could have a horror story. We could have an action film. Because every time yeah. he leaps, yeah, as long as we have a running narrative, like a sort of like like similar to what they've done with the yeah. MCU, where it's building up to one big end game type film, yeah. you've got an A-list star like a Downey Jr. He's showing up for three, four days just filming a few shots where he looks in a mirror and says, Oh boy, this film he could be Brad Pitt. Next film, he could be Kate Winslet. And it really surprises me that no one's... I know there's been talk of doing a Quantum Leap film for years and years, but it really surprises me that no one's jumped on board and thought, this is actually a really fucking easy franchise to make. And like I say, you can go in any direction with those films. I struggle for an answer with this one. The only one I could come up with is a franchise that is technically dead from a creative point of view. I would like to see it completely obliterated, wiped out, and done again from scratch. Yeah. Transformers. Yeah, I'm a huge Transformers fan of the of the you know the original '80s cartoon and toy line, and there was a little glimmer of hope in that Bumblebee film, yeah. which is nowhere near as bad a film as a lot of people expected it to be. I Unfortunately, yeah. it didn't do very well. I was going to say, I don't think it's nowhere near as good a film as some people are claiming it to be. Either, I agree with that as well. But, you know, it's, they, it's a good film. There was that little bit that, that that opening scene on Cybertron, which was wow. just yeah. you know if, if you're a big fan of the of the 80s cartoon that would just be like manna from heaven if we could just ignore everything that Michael Bay did with it in the right hands you could take that you know property that franchise as it is and turn it into something far more deserving I think with that now I think if you're going to do a Transformers unfortunately I think you'd have to leave it a significant amount you of would. time you now would. before you do I it agree. but actual franchise wise I can't think of there's a few I could think of getting rid of mm. but there's yeah I think it's because we've got too many franchises being juggled around at the moment. I wish they got the Dark Universe right <coughs> with the sort of mummy yeah. films and, you know, they were yeah. talking like doing Invisible nice. Man and yeah. stuff like that. I wish they got that right. Yeah. And conceivably, I can't see why... All right, The Mummy's not a great film. I'm not going to try and sell it as a great film by any stretch of the imagination. But it's not the massive turkey that some people claim it to be. But I can't see why, as a standalone film, they can't just rebuild from that. Can you imagine if they got it right and we would have ended up with a... Avengers scale version of Monster Squad. Yeah, how fucking cool would that have been? And that's what I mean. I, I, wish, I, I really wish yeah. that I'm on this den buried as, 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 as apparently it is. Yeah. Next question is Andrew Lewis on Twitter at Andy Lewis UK asks, he says, "Love the show." Fucking Jesus Christ! He says, "You guys obviously spend a lot of time in the cinema. We were there last night. We were yeah. actually. Yeah. So what yeah. are your preferred cinema snacks and beverages of choice?" <laughs> Well, <laughs> there's a story. <laughs> I think as as displayed last night, we, we had nuts men, me and you. Well, we had nuts last no, night. No, I went in with wasabi peas. Oh, they were peas? I thought they were wasabi nuts. Yeah. And for the first like quarter of an hour of that film, I was really struggling because I've got a really high tolerance of hot food. <laughs> but wasabi is a different type of heat. It's yeah. not chilly heat. It's that sort of mustardy sort of... And a, a few times, my eyes were watering. I stopped at the wasabi. You offered me a wasabi. Yeah. I stayed away. I thought... I'm Go for the plain dry roasted. I'm on a bit of a protein kick at yeah. the moment. Plus, I find 
less of a sort of afterburn after exit I find with the dry yeah. roasted than it is with Sabi. Right. I, I've got very strict rules on eating in the cinema. By all means, right? If you want to take in a cool, refreshing drink, yeah. you take one in. If you want to take in a nice, you know, snack, be a sweet, savoury, whatever, by all means, do that. Don't take anything hot into the cinema. Yeah. Anything that's hot, I like right? the smell. That's right. That's my <laughs> issue. Going back a couple of years ago, I went into a preview press screening of Justice League. The cinema was packed. There was an empty seat next to me. <laughs> a guy sits down with what I can only describe as a liquid that smelled like warm cider. Mm. I don't know what he was eating. A meat. It was yeah. I don't know what he was eating. It basically looked like a chili dog that was covered in oh, well, excrement. The, the jalapeno thing. Yeah, no, no. It? This I don't know what it was. It was very dark. Oh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Mesquite is what it's called. Mesquite. Is it? Yes. Right. Whatever it was, the combination of the drink and the food and the fact that he kept leaning in towards me and breathing, it, it got to the point where I thought I am going to have to get up now, and I didn't. Mo- I, I couldn't move. It, it was packed. It, it was. There wasn't a. You know, there wasn't an empty seat in there. But it did kind of spoil my enjoyment of the first hour of that film because it absolutely I gotta, stank. I gotta be honest, if I go with the kids, the kids always want to have popcorn, they want sweets and stuff like that, and that's kind of cool. When you're a kid, yeah. it's cool. And like I said last night, I'd finished work and I had a quick bite to eat. I'm, I'm trying to train at the moment, I'm trying to get myself back into my after eating shape. So I'm doing a little bit more of the protein, a little bit more of the, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I thought, well, I'll take some nuts with me and I can just munch away on them. Nine times out of ten, if I go on my own, I'll take a drink in, but that's it. You're in a film for maximum three hours. Yeah. What are you, a fucking baby? Yeah. you got to get some nachos and some dipping cheese oh, right. and some... Uh, no, fuck off. Just fucking watch the film. Cramming in as well, doing the trailers. Don't, yeah. When that film starts, if I hear a rustling packed of Doritos behind me you know, someone's pulling open their M&M's and then they're all spilling over the floor. I inst- I, I'm, I'm going to start, you're going to get my back up. I instantly turn into my parents yeah. when I see someone eating in the cinema. When I was a kid, I used to come in and I said, Mum, I'm really hungry. She'd go, no, you're not. i go, Mum, I'm starving. And she'd go, children in Africa, they're starving. Yeah. You're just, you're, you just you just want to eat something. Yeah. And that's what I honestly feel. When I see mm. someone, like, like, there was a guy there the other week when I went to see Joker, literally walked it, and he, right, this guy, he, he was one of those annoying fuckers you just know could eat whatever yeah. and still be, anyway, and still have a six pack. Yeah. He walked in, he had a tray of nachos, mm. he had a separate dipping sauce, like cheesy sauce, right? Yeah. On top, he balanced a foot long hot dog. <laughs> right, I know, I shit you not. I shit you not, right? Hanging out of his pocket. Right, was a bag of fucking revels, oh. and I was like, literally, like he's gotta be meeting a group of people here. Right, it's, it's bad he's enough. sat on his own. It, that film yeah. is like just over two hours. Fuck off! You can last. Right. Mate. I, you I can understand. Last. A lot of cinemas, right, make a, a lot of their money from the concessions. From I the always take my own. From, I always yeah. take my own. I'm not paying right. that shit. Ice cream's another one. Ice cream's great. Yeah, if it does smell, it's not going to be to the point where it's going to be. It's got yeah, it. It's exactly. Ice cream's another one. Great. But nothing hot, nothing smelly. It's bad enough we have to put up with people getting their phones out and, and their phones going off and looking at their bright phone screens. To put up with that, you know, that guy was just absolutely we've stinking. Probably, we've probably just really alienated yeah. this guy who was about to come back. What was his name, sorry? Andy, was it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Andy, if you take food in, mate, all power yeah, to by you. all means, just, just, just don't do fucking don't sit next to us if you've got a fucking... <laughs> Mesquite egg covered <laughs> fucking chilli dog. Other than that, though, thanks for writing. Yeah, nice great, to the, great question. Always nice to speak to the fans. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question we've got Richard Priest via good old email. Ah, uh, you know, I just love the people who email us. I like it's, an email. It's, it's admin at film89.co.uk. Do you know what I'd really like? I'd like a postcard. Oh, you want to fucking carry a pigeon? Shut up. <laughs> His question is Have you ever reviewed a film that you've since changed your opinion of, and would you admit doing so? I don't think I've ever written a review that I've significantly changed my opinion yeah. of. There's certain films that at one stage I've said I've... Like, I can remember when I first saw Terminator Genesis, I came out and I said to you, I said, 
it's not very, it's not terrible, but it's not it's not yeah. good. And then literally within sort of twenty four hours, I was like, "This is te- this is awful." Ones you've written about, we've talked about on the podcast. The thing is, a lot of the time when I when I review a film, if it's a new release, you you pretty much get in the sort of raw energy of it. But a lot of the stuff I do is like retrospective anyway, and a lot of it is stuff that I regard in high esteem and it has plays an important part in my life. You know, yeah. so I don't know if I like. Do- you see, we we go we don't go out of our way to talk about or write about bad films. I don't think I have. I'll be honest. I, I will. I will be honest, and I don't mean you. I know me and you have both watched films, and then right, you liked the film, and I haven't, and then, yeah. and then you've sort of turned my head, or vice versa. Richard, you, you've you've said that in the bit at the end of your question, and would you admit doing so? Yes, I'm going to admit because I think in one of our earlier episodes, where I think it was myself, Steve, and the late Jim Cottle, we yeah. reviewed Ready Player One. Right. Okay. I think. Having listened back to that episode, I think I, even then I was already beginning to realise that we had fallen foul to that thing because we saw it two weeks before everyone else. Yeah, we so saw had, we saw an yeah, early preview yeah. screening, and because I think I went in there with zero expectation, it was that whole nostalgia sort of injection, especially the shining scene, which yeah. I just thought was fantastic. As the weeks uh, went on after we recorded that episode and put it out. I actually thought, you know what? I think we enthused a little bit too much and Perhaps a little bit caught, too positively about that film. Momentum of it all. I think we did, and I think it's that whole thing of sometimes when you you know, you get access to these early screenings, much like I think a lot of people have done with Terminator Dark Fate. I just don't. The thing is with, with Dark Fate is everyone keeps saying it's the third best term. Like a bit bear in mind though, this is being recorded the day after the film's UK release, which comes a whole week before the US release, which is released in a week's yeah, time. Yeah, I was going to say every sort of. I try to stay away from reviews, but you can't miss the fact that on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever, yeah. they're saying. Critics you know, proclaim this to be the third best Terminator film. So before you've even yeah, take the you're with path, a, you've got yeah, that. with a frame of mind. What I would say with that is, I can see why a lot of people would say that, mm. but I also think it's because of the sort of dire input we've had that anything that seemed vaguely interesting and vaguely exciting instantly, much like the Ready Player One thing, yeah. you get caught up in the early expectations. Oh, it's quite good, actually. Oh, it's not too bad. You come out and you go, that's the third best film. Yeah. I, I would wager the amount of people who claim that to be the third best film speak to them in a week, yeah. especially if they're doing it on a regular mm. sort of basis of reviewing films. When the dust has settled a little bit more, we'll probably come back and say, yeah. yeah. Looking back at Ready Player One now, for a Steven Spielberg film, I think I may have actually given that film 7 out of 10 on the episode. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's a 7 out of 10 now and it's certainly one of the lesser Spielberg films and I do admit at the time I got a little bit too carried away with the nostalgia and yeah that is one occasion where I can think of that is where I have significantly well not significantly but certainly changed my opinion but the important uh, thing with that is although I can't remember an example and yeah. you can that both of us would categorically say if our opinion has changed we'd be happy to see why our opinions have changed yeah and it's like we said uh, like myself uh, and Rich and Hayden said on the Joker episode, because we were watching it, we were still processing the film we'd seen, we were aware of the fact that our opinion of that film could certainly change significantly on a second and third viewing. It's always the case. For me, a second and third viewing of a film is very important. And when we're reviewing films on the fly, you know, we've reviewed films literally two hours after seeing them. We've, we've actually sat down in front of the microphone with Avengers Endgame, with, uh, sorry, with Avengers Infinity War, and we have had to basically break down a two and a half and a three hour film in detail after just seeing it. And it's I not easy. Other examples, Black Panther being one. You did it with Black Panther. I did, I did it with One Spot of Time in Hollywood. You did, yeah. You um, literally just seen the film earlier that day. Yeah. yeah um, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So you've got to give us a bit of leeway, guys and girls. 
when we're talking about films that we've just seen, it, it, it is a difficult process. And conversely, if you look at the sort of Joker, I was the one who was kind of like, as you guys were alluding to, I was the one who was the most sort of, that this could be something really special. I went to watch it. It's a really good film, but I wasn't as instantly taken with no, the film as you guys Because were. you saw it. I saw it a week later, because I've come back off holiday, I saw it yeah. a week later. Yeah. By this stage, when I'm going in, not only is everyone at Film 89 telling me how great this film is, yes, the, right. the, the general press, the public, everyone is telling me. It's, I went in and I'm going, well, is this a great film or is it a good film with a great yeah. performance? You know, and I, I agree. So sometimes it can work both ways, yeah. can't it? But no, thank you very much for that, Richard. I, I hope we, you know, we've, be, we've generally been as honest and frank as we can with the answer. So thank you everyone that's um, sent us in listener questions as usual. Please, guys and girls, if you are massive Terminator fans, uh, don't be too dispirited by uh, what we've said. That's just our opinions. Uh, I know there's a lot of people out there who have already seen the film and have enjoyed it and I know there's a lot of people who are going to go out there and will enjoy it and probably be a lot less forgiving than we are but there you go uh, we can only give our honest opinion and we hope we have justified any criticism I just want to say um, on behalf of myself Neil and the rest of the Film 89 crew we have been absolutely blown away by the amount of people who are now downloading and recommending Film 89 to people worldwide worldwide, worldwide. we have had some success in the Apple podcast charts and the Podomatic charts that we never thought we'd be having after only 36 episodes I never thought I'd be saying I was number one in Portugal we were number one in Portugal we've we, <laughs> been number one in Japan and yeah we are incredibly grateful incredibly humbled we've had some fantastic iTunes reviews of late I wish I had time to read some of them out maybe we will next uh, episode yeah I put but some on the Facebook page thank you very much to everyone who sent us those really flattering five star iTunes reviews and we will just say as we often say to people who have yet to put a review on the, the way apple's podcast works we will get far more visibility and be promoted far greater by apple um, the, the more five star reviews you have so please if you haven't already just take a couple of minutes to to go on your ipad your iphone or, or if you haven't got an apple device go and hijack someone else's yeah so that's way yeah <laughs> please p- put a you know put a review on an honest review if you can but you know if it's five stars and all the better because yeah it really would mean a lot to us we uh, should do some sort of competition but we're not going to because, gonna, yeah. because i'd like to think i'm not going to give you a free t-shirt if you like my show if you if you keep liking them we'll keep doing we them. did do a competition and we did young, we young, did. young chris but, came on for the uh, yeah. spider-man toy story episode yeah we, we may do something like that in future we may, we may well do uh, so yeah thank you everyone uh, we are all incredibly humbled um, eternally grateful for your continued support Neil where can people find you if they want to hit you up on social media for a chat best place to get me is on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin or via the site itself yeah which is film89.co.uk please have a look there's uh, just a regular raft of brilliant articles being put on there uh, Steve Amos has just uh, sort of tried to walk the fence of controversy with a brilliant article about Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola. I didn't uh, this. I haven't spoken to Steve about it, but I will say, really well balanced article. Fantastic, and that's just one of many articles which uh, all the uh, Film 89 writers have been putting on there. So please go and check out Film89.co.uk. You can follow us all on Twitter and Facebook at Film89UK. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies and. Uh, I think it's time to wrap it up. Stay safe, stay happy, but more importantly, hasta la vista, baby. You knew it was coming. You're a prick. (laughs) (laughs) Keep that bit.
I'll be back.